You've got a passion for the outdoors, a desire to feel the warm sun on your face, the sound of your fly line whipping through the air, the pop of the water as the fish inhales the fly you just found in the floorboard of your truck. You need to feel the cool waters on your feet, the crisp north breeze of a November morning, the sound of a turkey gobble, the December rut, the chills of an elk bugle in September. It's the longing passion to chase your obsession. This is what we share. This is what we preach. Welcome to Honey Hole Hangout. Welcome, welcome, everybody. It feels like we haven't been sitting at this table in a while, and it's probably because I haven't been home in like 10 days. Yeah, but it's only been two weeks, right? I know, but it's but like, it, it seems longer. Feel, like, I felt a little rusty at the board. Well, when I came over to check your cats, I did sit here for a little bit, just kind of pretended. We were oh, there. did you? Did you? <laughs> sit off the motion sensor. <laughs> so, today we have me, Landon. We have Zach to my left. Hello. We have Gabe to my right. And sitting across from me is our good new friend, Nick Loveland. Now, Loveland or Love Land? Love Land. Because you were, love it was land. the first time I met you, it was very much like Love Land. And I was like, <laughs> I love it, dude. <laughs> yeah. I'll respond to, you know, whatever. Either way. Yeah. That's, love yeah, Land. That's okay. 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 So, you guys, if you know who Nick is, uh, he is, most, I would say, most famously known for micro fishing. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Got some media attention there. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we will get into that a little bit later. Um, First, we have a lot to talk about. It's been like 10 days since we've sat down, and there's a lot has happened. In, it's, it's, it's been two weeks. Yeah, A lot has happened since we last sat down. But first, before we get into everything, a quick note from our sponsor. From the vice to the boat to the bank to those moments you connect to a fish, Loon Outdoors is with you every step of the way with tools designed at the bench and on the water to help make your best day on the water better. Oh, man. So, we announced it on the last podcast, the river cleanup thing. Yeah. Did we get anybody to do it? No, I haven't officially <laughs> released the link to oh. do it. And that podcast episode has not been released yet, so we're oh, still right. we're still on time. So, as we're talking, it has already been released. I also want, yeah, as we're talking, it would have been released. Also, uh, Alvin's doing his Loco Trash Bash this weekend, and I wanted to wait until that was in the past because oh, I didn't want to be piggybacking. Piggybacking. Yeah. I wanted him to have his thing. It's a big deal. I didn't want to like pull any attention away from that. No, I get it. So, um, but we are launching a river cleanup that you can do on any river that you fish. Anywhere. Anywhere. As long as you're in the continental United States. Nick's Nick's like ears perked up. <laughs> I He's know like some rivers. <laughs> so Nick, here's how it works. So what you do is you're fishing on your river, you fill up a bag of trash, and you take a picture of it, and you submit it to us, and then at the end of a time period, this first one's going to end December 31st. Yeah. Um, we will select randomly a winner from everyone who submitted trash to win free gear yep. from the loon. Use the hashtag. Honey Hole Hates Trash. Honey Hole Hates Trash. Yeah, that's a good excuse for folks to get on the river and... You know, the off-season, everybody's out there in the summer making a mess. and Right. Yeah. I you think, can clean uh, up the summer mess. Yeah, it's like 80 degrees outside and right <laughs> yeah. now anyway, you know. And I know. Got to get out there and clean up. But this week is going to be like 40. Yeah, yeah. This, this last week was beautiful. It, it was, was nice. Beautiful. I had all-day training on Sunday or on Saturday. Ugh. Uh, you know, Ugh. that was exciting. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was my fun. They let me have lunch outside, though, so that oh, was that's nice. nice. <laughs> I got to see the light. It was great. <laughs> so if you guys go to our link tree on our Instagram, go to our website, anywhere, you will be able to find the Honey Hole Hates Trash link. Mm-hmm. Just click on that link, fill out the form. It's going to ask for your name, your email. We're going to notify the winners via email. And a picture. And some quick questions. How much trash did you pick up and wait if you're able to weigh, just so we can kind of keep track of how much trash is cleaned up over time. If you find anything interesting, and that's pretty much it, a photo. Yeah, I like it. Are so, you going to do categories like, you know, most bizarre item collected? And, ooh. Uh, I don't think we'll do cag- categories for, like, the prizes. Cause, yeah, because we're trying to do. We're trying to do a random draw. Yeah. Um, I see. But as pictures come in, it'd be but fun if, to see what. Yeah, but if pictures in. come in, we'll definitely post them. Like, so if you find oh, something you interesting, make sure you upload that picture, and we'll post it to social media. What's the weirdest thing we've pulled? We pulled that street sign out one time. Mm. That was kind of weird. What was on it? Concrete and all. Yeah. Uh, what, what street sign was it? It was like a one way. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah, but it had like the whole like concrete block on the bottom end of it. Yeah. Nice. It's been my dream for a long time to one day collect a, a river crossing sign. Yeah. There's like nine of them um, in my hometown in Hunt uh-huh. uh, up the North Fork, and they get blown out all the time. I mean, you know, yeah. every 10 years we get a flood that rips through there and knocks one of them out. And, like, every time I go out after when things settle down, I'm like, where is it? Like, where did it end up? <laughs> it's it's like 30 yeah. miles downstream, probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah. It's in New Braunfels or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's somewhere, though. Yeah. I know it's there. But that's still cool, though, to, to go and. Yeah, they're all named, too. So, like, my dream is to get the Lone Star Crossing sign, uh-huh. you know, and just hang it up in my man cave or something, you know, and drink yeah, a nice. Lone Star beer around it. But oh, yeah. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Zach, what are we drinking tonight? We were drinking a couple things. We are drinking. We are you had beer we're, and we're something else. Actually, I've been triple fisting. Uh, so, so what? let's start with this. Yep. All hands cocktails. Yeah, yes. great. Sent us a case of cocktails. Yeah, they did. And I ain't complaining because these things are delicious. They are. They're the best pre-mixed drink in a can. Yes, I think I'm gonna crack another actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's some of there, and there's also some in the uh, the the cabinet. Right. If you don't see a grapefruit one or one that you want, but all in all, I've got I've got the raspberry. Yeah, there you go, cherry limeade. Landon's got a cherry limeade. I've got a raspberry uh, lemonade, which is very good, very yeah. refreshing. What do you got over there? I got the grapefruit. I the like the grapefruit. grapefruit. Yep. Yeah. I kind of asked him like, what, "What's the uh, what's not the that's not the favorite in that box?" And uh, Landon gave me this. I'm like, however, it, I will say I think they are all great. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 That's exactly what I'm saying. Is like I haven't tried them all, but if you're saying this is the worst flavor. Not that I asked for the worst flavor, but I was like, which one do you not like? Right. And I mean, this is good. Yeah, oh, I yeah. think we can all honestly agree, though, that All Hands is the best cocktail in a can. Oh, yeah. for sure. Oh, yeah. And it's super refreshing. It is not even close. Yeah. No, it is super refreshing. Like, if I'm out on the river, I want All Hands. Yeah, I think you've yeah. got a sampler pack, and you dumped it in the in the uh, cooler. In the cooler, yeah. And, and it, random people just walked up. I, I'm sure that'd be right. If so, you did like all hands, and yeah. then like a sequin jail to kind of like yeah. you know balance it out a little bit. I so, think this may be the first all hands I haven't had on the river. This may be oh my really? Indoors, nice. We gotta step it up. We gotta do something crazy yeah. and match okay. the the theme. Run down the river. So I w- <laughs> I went to the Tech Baylor football game. Yeah. Uh, Weekend before last. A little disappointing. A little disappointing. But I saw people, like three people, double fisting all hands. Like, in, in, in the, the stadium. And I was like. How did they get them in the stadium? And I was like. So the third time I saw it, the first two times I was like, oh, it's a fluke. And I kind of like was poking around looking for like an all hands like vendor. 
And then the third person, I was like, okay, where'd you get that all hand stricken? She's like, oh, over there at this entrance or whatever. So I go over there. I'm like, okay, I'd like two. I got one for me and my brother. And then uh, they charged me $26. For two? For two. Well, technically it is two drinks in one can. So technically you got four drinks. I know. So you're saying when I buy it elsewhere, it's half off? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, no, like, I mean, like, if you buy like a six pack, I think the six pack is like 15 or 16 bucks. Because it is considered like two drinks in a can. What? Yeah. Yeah. Like and normally it's they 10%. sell them as yeah. Normally they sell them as a I four. Guess. Okay. Like a four pack, and the four pack is ten bucks. So basically, you I got, got a lot. Okay. Well, you know, I feel like I owe them that at this point. You know, I've I've had so many of these just given to me for. Yeah. <laughs> I can pay for one now. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I'll, I'll yeah. buy two. Yeah. yeah. So okay, so I'm gonna be there Saturday with my dad. Where student do I, section entrance. The student section entrance. Like, so, like, if I'm looking at the stadium, far left side. Uh, it is if I'm on looking at it the from east side. It is on the southeast side, southeast corner. Okay. Because, you know, they have that full bar now, like, on the north part of the stadium. It wasn't there. Really? Was, yep. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to go uh, introduce my dad to all hands and then brag about how they gave us some free drinks. And pay $30 for four. And make They're gonna be, uh, be like, my son got free alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, you can get your dad to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> and that way I still get free alcohol. So, all and, right. Oh, wait, wait. The other thing we're drinking real quick. Yep. Before we go too long about alcohol. Is Leatherwood Distillery. Uh, my dad lives in Pleasant View, Tennessee. We had one of his other products about a year ago. Um, and uh, so it's veteran-owned and operated, uh, and he makes a Tennessee straight whiskey. And if you don't know, that means that every drop of whiskey, outside of also being aged just like a bourbon, gets filtered through a silo full of charcoal as well. And that they say kind of smooths out the flavor a little bit and gives it more of a vanilla um, kind of flavor as well. Um, just kind of like Jack Daniels is charcoal filter. They're kind of the ones that kind of started it. Um, but do you get a lot of vanilla with this? I think up front, it's yeah. really sweet. On the nose, you, you you get a little followed by a lot of fruit for it. You get stuff. a lot of fruit, for sure. But after drinking it, it stays good. But that aftertaste is funky. Mm-hmm. But again, I'm drinking all hands at the same time. I'm, it's probably ruining my palate. But... I don't know. I mean, I like kind of having some carbonated stuff and then jumping to a whiskey because yeah. I feel like it really pops your pops yeah. your taste buds. Um, I don't know. I could see where people could really love that funk. It's real tannic. It's real leathery. It's a. It's not a bad funk. I don't want people. To get, it's yeah. It it's is, not like, a bad funk. I am into it. I I really enjoy this. But whiskey. there's stuff like there's stuff like uh, Elmer Teeley, uh-huh. right? Um, hard bottle to find all that stuff. It's it's popular. People try to find it all the time, right? But when you have it, it's like licking a sofa. Like it literally, that's <laughs> it's how like it tastes. That like l- yeah, that like licking a leather sofa, and yeah. people love that. Same thing with like we were talking about uh, the the BTAC handy. We were talking about um, the uh, like Willet stuff. I mean, mm. there's just some some of these bottles have a lot of funk, yeah, and people just l- like love it. Yeah, you know, it's not a normal thing that you would. There's some high rye stuff that just tastes like pickles, and again, people will just. This does not taste like pickles. No, but it's just like really. There is an aftertaste. There's an aftertaste that is funky. It's not. It's not bad, and the sweetness up front helps with it. Yeah, for sure. But you know, I I don't know. I, Maybe I, it's, it's not, the charcoal. Yeah, I saw, it's, but like you said, but like Jack doesn't have that 
kind of funkiness to it. But um, it could be a. I mean, and, and again, I don't. We don't know what the what the percentage is. It could be a higher rye, um, a higher rye, um, you know, mix. Even oh though, yeah, like yeah. the mash bill could, the have, mash a bill could high, yeah. have a high rye. It is smooth. It does not like it does not burn. Going yeah, down. it's forty five, uh, um, or it's ninety proof, uh, and uh, you know they say ma- sugar, maple, charcoal filtered. So I don't know, I, I don't know where that comes into play uh, on the sugar maple side. Uh, but I mean it's cool, veteran owned. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm I think with that funk, if it was mixed with something, would be really cool. Like, if you had it in, like, a whiskey sour or, or like, Ooh, a Manhattan or something, that that funk would, I'm sure, would come out. Whiskey sour would be yeah. great with that. Because yeah. there's there's some bottles that people buy, like um, uh, Rittenhouse. It's 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 gross by itself, but mixed, man, it is yeah. cool. It is good in mixed drinks. Yeah. I don't think this is gross by itself. I enjoy this by itself. Yeah, not bad. Um, but it, there is an aftertaste that is a little funky. Uh, what do you think? I took one sip a minute ago. I'll take a refresher. I do like it. Yeah. It is very fruity. Mm. Um, it's not my favorite. Right. But it's not bad either. No. No, it's not. It's think not I, I don't think I'd buy a bottle. Mm. But I'll, I'll sip on this if Zach brings it to the podcast and we're trying it. Yeah. Drinking I, live with our friends. I think I, I, I could. I think I'd enjoy it. I think I want to come back to this. Like I think I want to try this. Like without a, having. A, yeah, a couple of months from now, come back, try it, and see how it goes. Yeah, because you know. Why we, don't you mix them, Gabe? Yeah, yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> three little, stuff in a can. Yeah. I'm drinking you, three you, different you were, things. You were just talking about how some things takes, taste better as a mixed drink. Yeah, I'm just mixed saying with like drinks. simple syrup and <laughs> oranges and stuff. Yeah, but not not uh, grapefruit. Not and grapefruit. Blueberry. I think you ought to mix it with the back porch at sunset. Chris Stapleton playing Tennessee whiskey in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you glad that song's not called Charcoal Filtered Whiskey? <laughs> it's called Tennessee Whiskey. It wouldn't yeah. have the same ring. No, it would not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So I was in Lubbock for like 10 days. Yeah, dude. You, you practically well, live there. I know. What an adventure. So uh, I already talked about the Baylor game a little bit. Right. As lost. far as the drinks, where we lost. It was the most disappointing game I think I've ever seen. It looked like they weren't even trying. We overhyped that game the whole week beforehand, too. Like Everybody on Twitter was just like, oh, Baylor hasn't won there since 90. And I'm like, we're going to lose because of how confident we are going into this. And then yeah. Patrick, uh, Mahomes did get inducted into the Hall of Fame and Ring of Honor. They put him in the time. ring, right, with uh, Zach Thomas? Yeah, Zach Thomas, Crabtree. He's, they had this name like uh, – curtained off and so when they announced that they dropped the curtain cool. was it pretty exciting <laughs> it was it was nuts the stadium yeah. went nuts probably the craziest part of the whole night he never did a signing in lubbock which uh, was kind of disappointing because i bought like a really nice mahomes jersey tech stitch numbers yeah and my brother and i were going to get up real early and just go wait in line and get a signature but he never did anything he never did anything well he's helping my fantasy football team so thank Dude, you for freaking that 51 points this past weekend yeah However, like everybody else I had was on a buy, and I didn't want to drop anybody, so I definitely lost. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's just how it goes. Um, but, yeah, the the game was uh, slightly disappointing. Uh, overall, I had fun, though. Uh, we did stay till the very end. Sure. One thing I am disappointed about is how many fans left after halftime. Like, how many fans were there to see Mahomes? 
and then bolted as soon as halftime was over. Because they really? knew they were going to lose. Well, no, because we were supposed to win we, that game. Yeah, well, we made a comeback in the second half. Yeah. It was short-lived, but we did. Still did it. We still a made bit. a little bit of a comeback, um, which was exciting. But, yeah, a bunch of people bolted, and I'm like, <laughs> Not true guys. fans. I hate Not how fans. fans. No, yeah. no, tortillas. There were, <laughs> yeah, we dude, tortillas. there were plenty of tortillas thrown, and one was shot like a laser, whizzed by my head on a straight line path. It wasn't like tossed. <laughs> it was a laser. It ended up hitting somebody like four rows ahead of me, and they turned around. And I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> like oh, oh, okay, God. that's how it goes. Y'all crack me up. That's how it goes. Although there <laughs> was – Tortillas are great. They, they kept putting these guys up. Apparently there's this like king-size tortilla printed blanket, and this whole group of like students – had this thing like raised up the whole game. They put kept putting it on the screen, and everyone was going nuts every time it showed up. Um, so the other th- cool thing I did is, uh, so after Oktoberfish, I had talked to a couple guys who are casting certified, fly casting certified, and there's a guy up in Lubbock named Jim Hund who is a master certified casting instructor. He's one of a couple in the state. So when I got up there, I reached out to them. We did a little casting lesson, and he kind of... Is helping me prepare to to do your test. To do the test, I'll tell you what, that dude is a wizard with a fly rod. I feel like once you do this, you're just gonna be like big headed, and and like the the TikTok stuff that's going on. These people don't know I'm a. They're surrounded by a certified forklift driver. <laughs> oh, it's yes. gonna be like <laughs> the, these people don't know they're in front of. This, they're in, a cert, in the presence of a certified honestly with the certified caster. with the certified forklift driver stuff going around. I should make those jokes because those would do well on TikTok. Yes, yes, they would. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, man, he really helped me iron out, and I have a pretty good cast. Uh, I feel like going into this. Uh, and definitely the casting certification is like the next step for me to like kind of elevate my fly casting. And uh, he helped me iron out a lot of stuff and then also helped me like, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> help me differentiate between like the casting certification and what they're looking for and how you might cast while you're fishing because you do kind of have to it is separate them a little bit. Yeah. Because we were talking about, like, I have this kind of, like, naturally sidearm cast. And it has a tendency when you do that to not cast perfectly straight loops. But when you take the test, they're going to want to see perfectly straight loops. So it's better over So it's, like, do the traditional. I don't um, know. I, no one, no one can, no one's going to tell me anything about my casts. That's how I'm going to live my life. No, but you don't want the perfect cast. Yeah, but you're also... you're also A tuck cast isn't even a cast. You're just throwing weighted nymphs on Jim Furyk. a leader. <laughs> Jim Furyk has a crappy swing, but he's has one of the lowest scores in golf history. I'm just saying. He gets it there. He gets yeah. it yeah, there, that's right? A, that's the guys that taught me how to fly fish. They were like, yeah, you just got to get it to him. You know, you're, yeah, you're not, get, get you're not getting out there. Well, one <laughs> thing... <laughs> do better. One thing that's extremely helpful, too, and, like, I'm not... Like, obviously, I have a sidearm cast. That's how I'm going to cast when I fish. Like, I really don't care why I'm fishing. But one thing that was, like, really helpful, he's like, okay, what? We sat down. He's like, all right, explain to me your equipment. I was like, okay, this is the rod I'm using. This is the line. He's like, okay, why'd you pick that line? Mm. And I didn't have a very good answer. Yeah, that's tough. And he was like, like, you need to start thinking about, like, why did you pick that rod? Why did you pick that line? What is that doing for you? Because they're going to ask you that kind of stuff on the test. So you really, it really makes you think 
more and deep dive into fly casting. Um, because we're that's, I think that's great they're doing that, and that that's definitely a thing that a lot of people don't take into account or even research when they're buying a new rod. Mm-hmm. What lines would work well with it? It's just so expensive to just, just cut through lines. It's not like there's a place where you could rent lines. And in, in this test too, just so like Maybe if you if you aren't do. aware, we did talk with Austin or about it, but yeah, this is not for like the newbie. This going through this process is not for like the newbie fly fisherman who's just like getting into it and trying to learn. This is to teach people how to teach fly casting. Yeah. So you have to understand it at a level of being able to like. I'm going to take Zach out, and I'm going to help him iron out his cast. He's been fly fishing for a couple right. of years, so I need to be able to understand it well enough that I can break down what he's doing and then teach someone that's, like, at an intermediate level how to improve themselves. Right, because my fly so cast So I have to, to be able to understand it at a higher level than that to help him understand it at a certain level. Yeah. So uh, it's really interesting. Jim, uh, it's funny because he's an MCI, which is – a whole nother level. There's like only a handful. There's like only a hand. so yeah. there's so there's a casting instructor certification. I would guess that there's maybe like sixty to eighty in Texas, maybe a hundred. So not a ton. And that's the regular casters. That's the regular casters. Yeah. And there's Certified a master. Casters. There's a master casting instructor. Master MCI. Master casting instructor. And there's two. Right. There's only two. Him. And then there's 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 one for. Uh, uh, two-handed rods, and he's actually working on his two-handed rod. CI. Oh, that's a whole different. It's a whole different yeah. That's thing. what I was about to ask. And there's like a there two-handed rod oh. MCI, and uh, he was out there. I actually got to cast a two-handed rod for the yeah. first time, and he oh, was you showing. Didn't cast, yeah, you didn't cast Skinner's the other day. Um, well, I did cast Skinner's, but like actually on the water doing the roll cast oh, and having somebody like show you what you're doing. Was Skinner two-handed? I thought it was just a one, a one that you can use as a you know with. Th- those type I of thought his, no, his was a switch. A switch, switch yeah. yeah. Okay. No, these were legit, like, two-handed. two-handed and we, like, got in the water, did Dude, the roll casting fun. thing. The two-handed spares are fun. They are fun. Well, even the switch roll was fun. Like, yeah. I've never had an interest in it until I casted his, and I was like, this is yeah. nice. Like, it's just fun to cast. But Jim, like, eat, breathes, sleeps, fly casting, and is just a wizard. So uh, he is my mentor now. You uh-huh. have to have a mentor to go through the program. Right. So he's my mentor. And, nice. Uh, so you're going to drive him to Lubbock every time? No. Uh, they do this video conference thing that you can do it on. Okay. And then I'm up in Lubbock pretty often. So I told him anytime I come to Lubbock, I'll meet up with him. That's true. Do you call so, him like at weird hours of the night crying because you can't figure out this caster? No. Like, <laughs> not yet. Not no. yet. It's going to happen. <laughs> so, but no, it's uh, it's cool. But uh, the ones in Texas are uh, Jim Hunt in Lubbock. He is the most recent MCI. And apparently... They made the MCI test harder. Yeah, sure, why not? And he's one of two people who have passed the new test. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So, and then uh, there's Bill Gamble, who we met at... Oktoberfish? No, the Aggieland. Evan talked with him for a while. Mm -hmm. And he actually is responsible for the five essentials of fly casting, which is part of the whole CI program, Bill and his dad. Um, And then Steve Holland said... And Lake Texoma, and there's one other guy. So I think there's four master MCIs. Yeah, yeah. Maybe when we talked with, um, um, oh my gosh, a couple of years ago though, there's only two or three. Yeah. yeah. Okay. How good is your certification? Good for once you have it. It's a lifetime certification. Yeah. Yeah. 
Pass it down before they make that test even harder. That's I know, right. right? They did make some changes. He was talking to me about some of the changes. They made some changes, but it's not necessarily harder. It's just different. Really? Yeah, for the CI. You said like they're focusing more on like your actual teaching style, not just your cast as much, right? Yeah, you have to be able to teach it. You have to be able to identify what they're doing wrong and correct them. You have to be able to explain everything and why everything's happening the way that's happening. And then you have to be able to do different that. casting. Well, you get your Euro Nymphrod and you just do a big... <laughs> Big roll cast, just bam, bam right there, and yeah, and then and then you just catch a crap ton of catfish. That's what you gotta do. <laughs> yeah, that's it, man. That's it. My kind of fly fishing. Hey, man, <laughs> catch a catfish all day. So the other big thing with my Lubbock trip, w- trip was the crane hunt. Yeah, that's what I've been dying to hear about. Shot some ribeye in the sky. Shot Ooh. some ribeyes out of the sky. Are you gonna share it? Am I gonna share? Not it like not as I can't, but like you like cook some and be like, you get a piece, you get a piece. You get a piece. Oh, you think I'm Oprah now and just handing out? Yeah, dude, I'm hoping you're Oprah. <laughs> I mean, I was hoping when I came in today to already yeah, be smoking. That's why I'm here. No, no Cliff has it. I don't have it here, actually. He drove it back for me. Gotcha. Um, but what I was hoping, actually, Andrew, we should do a collab with Andrew. Yeah. Donate sure, yeah, my dude. two breasts. He can smoke them for the YouTube channel. Oh, and we can go over. And we can go over and help him out, and maybe sure do like a collaboration. Yeah, sure talk to him about it. Yeah, Gabe, I'm gonna put you on that since you guys are like basically like, neighbors. Yeah, I know he's in. I think he's in. He's doing his uh, Kansas trip. So well, he's shooting pheasants and stuff. I think this. We week. don't have to do it right now, but just put that on his radar. And like, see if hey, he'd be interested. We'd in that. like to come over and and have yeah. some of your man meat. Yeah, <laughs> man meat you <laughs> shall have. <laughs> We'll I bring. love that episode. <laughs> love that episode of The Office. Who wants who, who wants man meat? I, I do, do. I do, Michael. <laughs> so, uh, day one crane hunt. We go out. We're uh, hunting out a panel, panel blinds. Uh-huh. And uh, and the landowner came out. No. <laughs> no. No, but this this year has its own story. Oh, man, oh, yes. So, yes. just wait. So, we did not get kicked off by a landowner. But uh, day one, we shot five birds. Uh, basically, each person shot a bird. And what's limit? Limit is three per person okay. per day. The weather was real crappy. We got rained on, and it just wasn't the best conditions. But still, though, for everybody to get a bird. Also, it's a little early in the really? season. I think, like, mid-December is prime time. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. you did better this year than you did last year. Yeah, last year, during December. Yeah, I had buddies that had gone late, late December. Well, last year we got kicked off the landowner. Yeah, that's true. And there were thousands of birds yeah. flying over. I was going to say they went the last, know. like the last weekend, and that's why I couldn't do because it, it was during Christmas. But they limited out in like fifteen minutes. They had video. It was just crazy. Yep. So, man, it was fun. We had obviously had a good time in the blind. Got set up. We helped the guides set up the spread and the panels and all that kind of stuff. And then they're like, man, we cranked it out. You guys get to sleep in like an extra hour tomorrow because it's so you guys get it. You like, we get out here and get it done. And I think a lot of the times they get those uh, People Dallas Safari Club guys that sit in their truck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wait for it with the heater on. Yeah, with the heater on. Wait for it to get set up and then just and walk then down and lay The it guides out. are setting up like 50 decoys and a panel blind. By themselves, I think that's cool. I think getting out when it's cold, it's cold and unbearable. And I will it's tell fun. you, I will tell you this though, and this is a lesson learned. So on Friday morning, I got up, I checked the weather. It said sixty degrees, mm-hmm. and uh, then I walked outside in like boxers and a t-shirt, like on the front porch. I'm like, man, it's really nice. So like, I put on my clothes for the day. Then we get out there, and by the time we get there, it's dropped ten degrees. Oh, geez. and then it dropped like another ten degrees. So it was like down to forty by the time we started hunting. And all I had brought was the clothes that I thought 
was going to be good for 60 degrees. So I was freezing. I think Cliff did the same thing. Like most of the guys like woke up in the morning. It was really nice. And then the weather dropped. Normally it warms up when the sun comes out. But in Lubbock, with the wind, wind, when the sun comes up, apparently it gets colder. So (laughs) (laughs) uh, on day two, though, it was much colder, but we were all like, we're we're not messing with this again. Like base layers. Yeah. All that. Uh, day two, we had no birds flying. Oh, really? Nothing. Uh, and that's how it goes sometimes. Uh, but what happened on day two? So uh, we met the owner out there. The landowner? No, the owner of uh, the outfitter. Yeah, okay. And uh, he just came to say hi and talk with us. And um, he was going to scout some locations around the area. So he took off. And then we had a guide. And a scout. So the outfitter hires scouts, and what they do is every evening they drive around and see where the birds are flying, so they can decide where they want to hunt the next the day. next morning. Gotcha. And the guides are the ones that take you out. So, but we had a guide and a scout, and it was the scout was hunting with us because that's one of the perks of being a scout is that you get, hunt. You, get you don't you probably don't make that much money. I don't know that for sure, but you have to be a scout before you're a guide. And then the perk of the scout is you can go hunt if it's a small group. And there's room. so It's like an incentive to do a yeah, good job scouting. Yeah, 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 really. Actually, yeah, that makes sense. So uh, the scout uh, was hunting with us, and so uh, the owner uh, would, you know, was driving and got stuck in the mud, apparently. So they called us because we were the closest one. So the scout took the guide's truck, an F-250, to go pull him out while we were hunting. So they the scout left, and we get a call like an hour later and was like, uh, the Ford stuck. And so we're like, both trucks were oh, stuck. Both trucks were stuck. Oh. So then we're like, well, we're hunting. We will figure out what to do when we're done. So we get done hunting, and then we have Cliff's truck, and then we have another guy hunting with us, Jeremy, his truck. He had a Ford, but it was two-wheel drive. So he was, and they were driving home, so they pretty much bolted after yeah. the hunt. And then we were like, oh, yeah, we'll go help get him unstuck. Uh-huh. So we go, and... And what's funny about Cliff is Cliff is like, oh, watch the GMC pull a Ford out of the water. <laughs> yeah. You know, talking yeah, talking Cliff. that yes. talking that kind of crap. So we get down there, and then Cliff gets stuck trying to pull the Ford no. out. <laughs> so we have three vehicles in a line, in a line <laughs> stuck in the mud. And then what's hilarious is as we're, like, getting out and kind of walking around, we see toe straps from other vehicles that have been stuck there. in the past oh, left man. there. Like two different sets of them. And this was like a red uh, red dirt road with like clay underneath. Oh, yeah. So it was just like, like, just dig in. Have you guys seen any of the pictures? No. Let me pull See, some. So you guys needed a Jeep that could crawl you out of there. Or a Yoda. So. Or, 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 or Yoda. Yeah. Then it becomes a whole sports Dude, thing, right? you guys are deep in the mud. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's awful. They're up yeah. to the bottom of the door. Oh, hell yeah. No. That's, yeah, you guys weren't getting it. I yeah. have a video here of a toe strap breaking too somewhere. Oh, so how did that happen? I, or so how did you guys get out? Okay, so what we did <laughs> waited three days and came back. Yeah, yeah. So everything was dry. About up. thirty yards behind Cliff's truck was like solid ground, basically. So they called some friends in. Took them a while to get there because we're like an hour outside of Lubbock, and uh, they called some friends in, and uh, we got two more trucks there: a really high lifted Ford, and then another another Ford, and uh, that high lifted truck was able to pull cliffs out so we had cliffs clear and the deal was like once we get a vehicle out it's going to the top of the hill to the main road so like they drove the truck all the way to the top of the hill get it out of the way um so that was fairly easy 
then, but the hard thing was the F two fifty because it's so heavy. Right. It really was. It was really sank deep. So we actually got shovels and we dug the F two fifty out with shovels. Dude. And then pretty much and with and then put board and we built a ramp and then put, put boards, boards under the tire and then he pulled out. Yeah, drove drove out. And then the front vehicle was a Subaru. Um, okay. And uh, we, they were able to uh, basically pull the Subaru out. Yeah. Um, it was so light, and we were pushing on it too. So that one, the the big problem was the F two fifty because it was so heavy. Because the Subaru, like you get four guys pushing on that thing in a truck pulling, pulling it, yeah, it's gonna get it's out. gonna get out. Yeah. The funny thing about the Subaru is they have these little tow hooks, and we actually broke the tow hook on it. Did you really? Yeah. yeah. Dang. Yeah, yeah. They have the yeah the recovery hooks. Yeah. Yeah. Better than ripping the bumper off, I guess. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. I don't yeah. know why this whole story is giving me like nostalgia. You know, as someone who's but, worked in fisheries for a while. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 those kind of like days where you're just like stuck winching. So uh, it's a good time. It is. I will <laughs> say. Story. I will say. Obviously, like a good hunting trip is not without a good story, and obviously that's a good story. And like a toe strap broke, and like we had fun. Um, my thing was, I was like, I was. I think I overinflated Saturday because the weather looked so good and that we had crappy weather the day before. So my thought was like, oh, will we have more birds in the air with better weather? And that didn't happen. And then I wanted to watch the Tech TCU game and we're out there working while the Tech TCU game's on. Ian actually, I'm going to call Ian out. Ian got mad at me at one point. Uh huh. Because I was watching the Tech TCU game out there, and uh-huh. he was like on his hands. Well, he was like digging, digging dirt, and you're like digging oh. dirt, and he's like, "You want to help us dig?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Dude, I want to watch a Tech TCU game because it was Tech was leading at halftime." Yeah. I was like, "I'm emotionally invested in this game," and what had happened was why they some people went to go get shuffle shovels. Cliff and Ian and one of the guides were like, "We're going to start digging out by hand," and so they're like under the truck, like. And by you're like, hand shovels digging, are coming. and I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, I'm watching the game, and shovels are on the way. Like, hand me a shovel when they get here. I'm not about to just dig it, <laughs> dig with my arm, because although they did, although we, and I did help by hand a little bit, but although we did get some work done by hand, like once the shovels came, it was basically we had shovels and a pickaxe. It was over, and it was pretty much like done. didn't take that yeah. long. Yeah, yeah. So, um, sorry I didn't help out, Ian. I was watching my team. Yeah, sometimes lose a game. you need like a, a morale booster in a football yeah. game. Is a way well, to and one game. of the guys was like, "I'm gonna dig," you know, because it was his truck stuck. So he was like, "I'm gonna dig," but I want you to give me a play by play. So I was like, kind of <laughs> update. So I was like, I was like, I felt like I was being a morale. You're a booster. part of it all, yeah, but you're just and a then, different part. <laughs> and then he was like, "You can help us dig." I'm like, "Dude, you want me to with my hands? I'm not a dog." <laughs> yeah. Shovels will be here in ten minutes. I think we can wait. This is a pause. Do you? <laughs> uh, That's funny. But I think Ian wanted to get out of there. Yeah. And I was like, we're stuck here for a while, so yeah. That's when I always I'm gonna break like out the ha- snacks too. Like everybody gets like, all pissed off, and they're like, yeah. you know, like, hey guys, in a hole. <laughs> and we didn't have we didn't have beer either. Oh no! But listen to this. So the guy uh, Colton comes out and. Our guide was awesome. Like I'd hunt with him. His name was Colton. I would hunt with him. He was, he was an awesome dude. So he comes out. We were talking about like, oh, there's no beer. He comes out. He's like, oh, what's the number between one and ten? Everyone, listen, number. 
tosses it to me. He's like, you're the closest. It was the one beer in the cooler. So oh. You got the beer? <laughs> I got the beer. And so you got the beer and the game. Dig. And the yeah. game. No, no, no. And you didn't no, dig with no, your no, hands. No, 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 no. But listen, That's Cliff dirty. looked so defeated when that happened. I cracked it and I handed it to Cliff because his truck got stuck. I was like, your truck got stuck, man. You can have the beer. You can have the beer. Yeah. <laughs> Did Cliff like it? Oh, yeah. Was he happy for, yeah. happy for the beer? Dude, Cliff was just happy that trucks were stuck and he was helping. He just wanted the story. He just wanted. He like, was living for. Like, he was like, "I hope we all get." I was stuck. like, "I'm glad we didn't shoot birds because that means our trucks got stuck and we got to dig them out with shovels." <laughs> <laughs> that was Cliff's attitude the yeah, whole time. Yeah, I can see that. You guys know how Cliff is. Yeah, like, yeah, dude, he wants that story. Yeah, he wants it. I mean, like, it was a good story. I'm glad. I'm glad they got stuck. Then we had Mexican food afterwards, and it was from great. where? From some little Mexican food place. I don't in know Lubbock. the name. Uh, no, not in Lubbock. In. Nice. Uh, about an hour outside of Lubbock. I can't remember the name. It was good stuff, though. Remember uh, Josie's? Josie. Dude. Man, Josie's was open 24 hours. Oh, I think that was good. You could go there like 3.30 in the morning and just have whatever you wanted, man. It was great. And then it burnt down. Yep. We had one of those in town. So Elita's had dollar margarita night on Thursdays. Ooh. Yeah. And uh, and some cool servers that took care of us yeah. uh, when we were just happened to be a little underage. But um, <laughs> college students, broke college students. Um, fun, fun place. Yeah, I got in trouble with, like, I don't know, human trafficking or something. And then the place got closed and burnt down as well. What? Yeah. Oh, man, that, that took up one. So we, <laughs> speaking of restaurants, so we my favorite restaurant in Lubbock is Capital Pizza. Shout out. Have you eaten at Capital Pizza? I don't think I've been to Capital Pizza. It's, there's one right it's next to JMB. It's on the north side of Lubbock, right? Or north there's side one of the right next to JMB Coffee, and then there's one on the north side of Lubbock. Cool. So you brought some for us to try? No, I did not. Man, it's 0 for 2. Uh, no, right? No. Man. But they made national news recently, not Uh-oh. in a good way. Oh, no. Were they selling shark fins? No, they were not. <laughs> oh. For Halloween, they released a Dahmer special oh. pizza. Oh, come on. Oh, man. Yeah, and it made national news. I didn't know that until after we ate there. You're going so to eat your sandwich? Was on you're going to eat that yeah. sandwich? <laughs> yeah. What's the Dahmer special? Brains? Uh, Probably it, a carnivore pizza with all the meats, I think. Yeah. 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 And like toenails? Toenails. and. <laughs> have you all watched the, have you watched the show? Nah. Watch the Like an episode. Yeah. Oh. I don't, we don't need to talk it's about it. It's very dramatic. I bet it is. Yeah, very dramatic. I still feel weird about the fact that they made like a show about them. Yeah. And the Ted Bundy. It comes from a person who's like hardcore into like gory horror. Yeah, movies. I love horror because it's fake. <laughs> I've right? seen a, based off a true the, story. When the real person who's like, he ate my brother, is like <laughs> in real life watching the series, it's different. Yeah, I can watch it. Like that. Yeah, but no, I don't know Man. anybody who personally knows Pennywise the clown. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen Barbarian? Yeah. Dude, that is like unlike any horror movie I've seen right? in a long time. It was it, pretty original, I think. Yeah, it was good, too. I'm glad that like the previews kept everything. Like You yeah. had no clue what it was going to be about. Well, I, I had my, my sister. She was the one pitching it to me. She was like, don't even watch the preview. No. Like, you've got to go you in. You should go. Like, Have you seen why? it? It's on HBO. Watch it. We're not going to say a word about it. No. That's really you good. need to watch it. It is crazy. It is not that scary, but it is definitely worth a watch. Okay. It's good and scary. Is there some good left yeah, turns? Yeah, it's good and scary. Some good left turns? Yes, oh, yeah. definitely. Okay. There's like seven Hard parts you're like, what? Turns. Okay, I'm into yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, that one. I'm trying to think. I watched the was pretty good. Recently. I saw the one with the the Pew Chick and uh, Harry Styles. Oh, yeah, Don't Worry Darling. That was okay. I watched half of it today when I got yeah, home. Yeah, it was all right. I watched oh. this the last half. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was weird. It was I mean, very I was like, weird. It was also kind of like, uh, should, like, Science fiction. Yeah, yeah, science fiction. I was fiction. like, I've we seen sh- this We should uh, save it for field and streaming. 
Yeah. Yeah. Good. Wait, that's what is that? Is it like a segment y'all got? We do. Uh, we do our a, second a mini, podcast. We do a mini podcast called oh. Field and Stream. Sometimes we do a podcast before the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Called Field and Stream, where we, we talk, talk about, about movies. movies and TV shows. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, but we should do we should do Barbarian on that podcast because yeah. Barbarian was crazy. Okay. I'm kind of bummed that like spooky season is sort of over now. Me too. You know? I don't yeah. know. They're I still they're still kicking too. out uh, um, uh, unsolved mysteries on Netflix. Oh, it's pretty yeah. fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, that's true. yeah, my wife has a hard fastened rule though between November first and January first. You cannot have any crossover between. Like horror and the holidays, I she's feel, like they huh. got to be separate. I don't want to see like Santa Claus as like a demon. She's like that can't exist. So no, like anywhere. Krampus or um, I feel like oh, she actually likes yeah. Krampus. Cr- there's Krampus and there's the other one, Strange Imports. I think was the other yeah. one. Yeah, or like there's a natural crossover. You know? Yeah, right. Or is that yeah. new one with uh, David, uh, the guy from Stranger Things? Okay. He plays Santa Claus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah but it's yeah. like if Die Hard was like Santa Claus instead of like John McClane. Yeah. Okay. Mm. All right. Die okay. Hard's my favorite Christmas movie. Oh, heck it's yeah. So good. Yeah, we watch it every year. Yeah, but she'll watch that, but she's like, no, no, no. I don't want no demons with Santa. Yeah. I'm going to draw the line. That's <laughs> right, yeah. draw the line. I'm like, really? Okay. All right, Gabe. So, quick rundown. How was Casting for Recovery? Casting for Recovery was really good. Um, weather was great. I think we had like eight or ten participants. Um, they tried something new this go, which was utilizing... Uh, in casting and everything, it's kind of a Tinkara rod. We researched it before the podcast here. It's a live bait Tinkara rod. Well, it's a live bait Tinkara rod. Did you guys um, use live bait or hooks? We No, we used flies. Um, you it's know. somehow different. How do you say Kiryu? Kira? 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 K-E-I-R-Y-U. Was it U or A? I don't know. Regardless, we used it as, as, as a Tinkara rod with level line with, um, I used 5X tippet. You know, it just and it just it worked out for some of these ladies. They were trying trial trialing it um, as a way because you know this was this specifically is a stage four group. This this specific retreat are for women with stage four had stage four, um, and so there's some that have the was it uh, neuropathy. neuropathy? Dexterity to well, yeah, they're they're having neuropathy issues because of certain things, I see. and some of them have even had like biopsies underneath their their armpit for uh, on the um, whatever you call those things. I forgot the uh, lymph nodes, mm-hmm. you know, and so that can affect how they're they're casting or their casting ability. And everyone, you know, enjoyed it. I think it's a cool tool for that. I don't think it's going to be something that, as a whole. Uh, they'll they'll move the group to do, but it sounds like they're probably going to have maybe a case by case basis, case by case basis, and a handful available if they they think they're going to do it. Now, tool and tool. Yeah, CFR. They unlike real recovery, where their real recovery is fishing all day. Uh, CFR. They have a lot more um, sit down, you know, workshops, etc. With you know, with doctors and 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 uh, other people that come into this thing. So. Uh, they only do one day of fishing a morning, a Sunday morning, usually for, for two, three hours max, I think is the most. So weather was good. Water was good for, for those ladies to be able to wade fish in. You know, some of the ladies, like I said, are very delicate to take their time. Um, but, uh, you know, it was, it was a fun it was a fun morning. It was a beautiful morning. I wish they they fished longer because those afternoons, I'm sure, would have just been stellar. 
uh, to fish out there. We saw some good-sized carp, saw some good-sized catfish, of course. Uh, a couple of small sunfish in, in bass when we, were, when we were around that area, but water's, water was nice and clear. Um, yeah, it was, just, it was a good day. It was a good day. So, yeah, that, nice. was, that was Saturday. Nice, or Sunday. Dude. That was Sunday. Zach, you went to an event? I did, dude. Oh, man. Best event I've been to, like for sure. It was called Mythicon, right? And so Kendall and I, for I've watched them for probably eight years. They started 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have an, a morning show on YouTube that they release every day called Good Mythical Morning. And what is it? Because you keep yeah. telling me about it, but yeah. I don't right. understand so it, what okay. it is. It's two guys, and they started off different. Like, they started off early on where they would just kind of, like, play games with each other. Like, they'd bring, like, random facts. Kind of like a tw- like a 15-minute episode of, like, some of the stuff we used to do with, like, our segments and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, like, one person would bring facts, and they'd share it with the other person. But then over the years, they've changed, and they do a lot of, like, weird food eating now. And they've grown to, like, a company with over 200 people. And so, like, they have, like, a professional chef who makes, like, really good food, but he makes it out of, like, weird ingredients, and that's kind of, like, their go-to now. But they'll also, like, do, like, uh, a gut check where they'll eat, like, all 40 flavors of Cheez-Its and, like, pick their favorite. But they're just, like, really good guys. They've kind of garnered this, like, really welcoming and inviting community. They have this huge community online of people who call themselves, like, mythical beasts, and, like, we all interact with each other and stuff. So this year... The first year ever, they said they were going to do a Mythicon event, which was like a two-day convention out at uh, that ranch that we went Hill to. Hill Stars. Hill Star Ranch in uh, Dripping Springs. Mm-hmm. And so um, Kendall and I bought tickets immediately when they went on sale. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went out there. And they have like five different podcasts under their umbrella corporation. And so like they had like a carnival there. They had... Um, a bunch of different shows. They have these weird characters, like one called Cotton Candy Randy, who wears like a cotton candy beard, and he like whispers sweet nothings into people's ears, you know. <laughs> so they had like his haunted house. So kind of like a Renaissance fair, but kind of just within like it is. It is. It is group that they put together these characters for that just become known by the the group. Kind of. So like they're these two guys, Rhett and Link, and they're yeah. not characters, but they have like on their show they will have like these little callback characters they do. Anyways, though, they have a lot of podcasts. We did, like, a lot of the live showing. One of the guy, he actually released a country art, uh, album last year, and so he played the whole album live um, Friday night. And then Saturday night, they did their main event, which was, like, a two-hour show where they get up there and they just have, like, a good time. They play games, you know. They also... They had this thing where, like, they led everybody chanting to bring the aliens to us to, like, let aliens know where we are. So I was a little freaked mm-hmm. out because you guys know yeah. my main fear is aliens. Yeah. Um, anyways, aliens landed. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, it's, like, it's like I'm not scared of much, but aliens really do creep me out. Mm. Um, so you, you had an encounter. We had an encounter, yeah, with yeah. the alien. There was yeah. a cruel prank played on him as a kid. Yeah, and He was. has not healed emotionally. Yeah, see, so we... Uh, the nice. alien did show up, and so... Terrifying. Did you, did you hide during the lunar eclipse that I, happened? I try not to. No, I do like lunar eclipses because I like to tell my students about them. Uh, but, what moon's um, going on right now? Speaking of which, what moon's out there right now? Because it seemed pretty damn scary driving Yeah, there was here. a lunar oh, yeah. eclipse at like 5 a.m. this morning, I yeah. think. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I think that's prime alien time. Yeah. Yeah. Moon turns red. <laughs> but it was just fun. They did a big dance party at the end. But the main thing is the convention was just a bunch of people 
who have this community and like I've never been to an event where more people were just kind to each other and just like there yeah. like for a good time like people did not let things get under their skin it wasn't like huge it's probably like 2,000 people there which like is a lot but like if you've been to like ACL or like yeah it's other, basically like a high school football game the amount of people right there, but like yeah. ACL and stuff has like 50,000 yeah. people at least you know whereas like this was like everybody was there we're all part of this community it was just Kendall and I had a fantastic time and I couldn't recommend it enough you know, so nice. That was great. Awesome. One thing I will say, I need your help with Zach. So I bought tickets to the Tech UT basketball game uh-huh. in Lubbock, <clears throat> and it cost me an arm and a leg because that's probably the, the game biggest game to go, to go to. to. Yeah, it'll also be the last time we play Texas in Lubbock before they move to the SEC. Before they move, but we're still going to play them once they go to the SEC. Are in basketball? Um, we're playing them in football for sure. So I assume we're playing them in basketball as well. Huh. Okay. Well, hopefully, but yeah. why they're in the Big 12, it's a last. It's, it's still and an also important game to go to. with the beard stuff and all that. Yeah. We have upper deck, first row. Ooh, that's, that's my favorite spot to nice. be. Like at, upper deck in the front. At about the, what would be equivalent to the 40-yard line. Right. So, really good seats. Some of those seats, like on the lower deck, like 20 rows back, were like 1,500. Uh, with, with your hands, show me how much did you pay for your seat. One, for one ticket. For one ticket? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, I could get that. Yeah, that's not that. I mean, that's that's high, but like, but my goal is since I have like a pretty recognizable seat right. with bars in front, I need a bomb sign that I'm gonna make to take to the game. Yeah, so like, I get broadcasted live on TV, and that sign gets shown. Like, uh, Honey Hole loves Mark Adams. No, like <laughs> something. I don't know what it is, but something about UT or like. Something that will make make the TV. So I need okay. you guys. Come up with something. I bet you you would come up with something good too. Here's Nick. what you do. It's crazy. The Aggies do it all the time. Get yourself a Longhorn and you flip it upside down. <laughs> <laughs> totally, it's the go to. It's the go to. Yeah. Or or can't go wrong with it. You remove the horn. Or you remove the horn oh, yeah. sideways from the face. Yeah. Yes. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Or just be like eating barbecue. Like beef brisket barbecue, like very aggressively the whole time. Right. <laughs> or just have that little gif on a loop of when Chris Beard is wearing a UT shirt and he says, Texas Tech is going to win in Lubbock today. Oh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. the point. Yeah, exactly. That's what I would have. Just have like, I'd bring a big iPad, like the biggest one you can get of just Chris Beard with a UT shirt on saying, Texas Tech is going to win in Lubbock today. I could probably get a huge one printed though. Oh, like a big one with like Chris Beard with his UT shirt yeah. on and underline say or underneath it say like Texas Tech will love yeah. it today with quotes. Yeah. Yeah, that's what you need to yeah. do. That's a good one. Yeah. So I'll work on it, but I got a lot of time to come up with something. Yeah, you do. It's, it's February. February 13th. It's a Monday. That's yeah, yeah, a lot of time. It's it a is. lot of time. That game's going to be. That's going to be a fun game to go to. Did you watch the Tech basketball game last night? Uh, I did. They yeah. played well, and the place was hopping for playing Northwestern State. I know. I'm excited for this season. It's just, I'm still excited for football season. Like I feel like first-year coach, my expectations have been met as far as like how I feel. Nick, how do you feel about the Aggie season? I haven't been paying attention. That <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Went there, loved it, and I left and kind of just – Mostly spend my time fishing. <laughs> well, th- this is a good segue. Uh, where are you at school at now? Do you get your master's degree? 
I'm a roadrunner these days. Oh, yeah. we do this thing. It's yeah, like, yeah, it's like, like a, it's yeah. a shaka, but it's a bird apparently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like ground dwelling uh, cuckoo bird, or like the hang loose like, sign, yeah. right? Yeah, like, yeah. It's like hey, Hawaii, yeah, yeah, but yeah. not. And it's almost like you, uh, UTEP with the pick, but then they just kind of went with the, they just turn it to Wait, sideways. UTEP does this. Yeah, the pick, the pickaxe, UTEP miners. Oh, I see. Uh, it's like. Yeah, so it's then, like it. so it's always funny going and seeing like the UT stuff, and it's like, oh, that's already. That's, that's it's funny because we we get like birds up, but I think it's you know they're like a ground dwelling bird. That yeah, fly yeah, very much. They so. don't. I don't know why they don't. Know. They get like bit. a max height of like ten feet. Yeah, pretty sweet though. Like it's like five does, minutes does, from here. Does that you know, upset you as you know as with the, with the science background going? This is not. This is not. <laughs> that bird would never be up, <laughs> and they just run. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's pretty sweet. Um, it's close to home for me. So, what are you studying? In the, I'm in the environmental science department, and um, yeah, get my master's degree there. Okay, so we were talking beforehand off air about your master's program a little bit, and you had to come in with a thesis. So, what are you? What is your thesis for your master's degree? Yeah. So, um, well. Like you said, like it, I came in a fully funded project. Uh, there, there was already proposal written out by my advisor, my, you know, the professor that I work for, and uh, in collaboration with Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. And basically, um, we're studying spring-associated fish on the Edwards Plateau um, and sort of their temperature vulnerability, you know, um, in a warming climate uh, with, you know, especially on the Edwards Plateau where a lot of our rivers rely on groundwater and springs to sort of um, provide habitat year-round to these fish and provide thermal refuge, you know. We're st- we, we put about a ton of uh, temperature monitors all over the Edwards Plateau. I've got them about six or seven river basins. And uh, in addition to that, we're taking three spring-associated species, the Plateau Shiner, uh, the Guadalupe Roundnose Minnow, and Guadalupe Bass, which, you know, most people know, <laughs> state fish of Texas. And we're taking them in the lab and uh, sort of establishing what their, their thermal limits are, you know, kind of trying to put a number on um, how hot it can get. You so know, you're physically holiday. taking those fish to a lab. That's right. And boiling them? And, and boiling them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you're just in a torturing fish. Exactly. <laughs> well, no, well, I mean, we had a little old bay seasoning in <laughs> Do you do you name <laughs> these? It's not do they a total have <laughs> No, we don't. We don't name. Them. Oh, they do have you know Latin names and uh, common names and like um, numbers and numbers. Yep, yeah, yep, do number them. So, so without like getting too much into it, what are some things that you found that have been extremely surprising to you? Well, um, today I was down on the Frio River and uh, we went out there to get some uh, some plateau shiner, which are really unique endemic Central Texas fish, only occurs and really the. Yeah, depending on who you ask and who lumpers and splitters and how you break species up, they're either only in the Nueces, Frio, and Sabinal or only in the Frio and the Sabinal. And the one in the Nueces is different. But I kind of think they're pretty much all the same. Anyway, yeah. um, I found out that these fish, uh, they can handle a lot of heat. Um, you know, we sort of worry, you know, in the summertime, like if you ever stepped in like a really shallow piece of water, especially near a bunch of bedrock, you know, like the the rock tends to heat up and it gets real warm real yeah. quick when you step there. Real warm. Yeah. I mean, it feels like bath water. Yeah, you just throw that around all the time. Um, well, these fish love that habitat. They live like you know, 
in the shallowest of the shallow, like right at the top of a riffle, you know, let's say you've got like a riffle broken down in front of you, you know, you've got, you're looking for the deepest part of that riffle for maybe like a trout or a bass or whatever. These fish live in exactly the opposite habitat of right. that. So like the very top, as soon as that water starts to break, that's the only place you'll find them. And um, yeah, man, I mean, we're cranking them up to like 37, 39 degrees Celsius, which is, you know, up above a hundred degrees Fahrenheit. And uh, yeah, they're pretty tough little guys. Um, other than that, you know, I guess uh, what's really interesting to me is what I didn't know going into this project. Like I said, it was already funded and written out, and I kind of inherited it as a grad student. I applied for it just like a normal job, you know, and came in and had the work lined out for me. What I didn't know is that there's not really a baseline for stream temperature in, in at least the Edwards Plateau. That's what I was going to ask you. Like, what is, like, the highest, like, the the plateau has gotten as far as, like, like what's the, like, well, during, like, the is peak that, of summer, is it, like, yeah. 80 degrees? Or is it hard that? to gauge because it could be on depth? It depends on so many things. You know, right. the depth of the water, um, how far rain. away you are from a spring, rain, all those things. Um, you know, drought, obviously, right, was right. This kind of the big motivator behind a lot of this, this project. But, um... When so you know how there's like flow gauges all over the state. Yep. River rats yeah. use them all the time. Go say, oh hey, the water's up. Let's go. Let's go hit the new oasis. You know, and do whatever. Um, all of those gauges. I mean, there's hundreds and like seven or eight hundred of them that are like constantly maintained. Give you every fifteen minutes. You know, a, a flow reading all throughout the state. Well, there's like a hundred. They give you temperature, and they're not very well distributed. It seems like there's a bunch in the Pecos and the Rio Grande. They're kind of spread out up and down the Trinity and the Brazos. But the Edwards Plateau, especially in these upper areas of like the Guadalupe, the Nueces, the Pedernales, you know, um, we don't have a much of a baseline. There's just like not the data there, and yeah. I didn't I didn't realize that. Like you think that'd be so simple, and because temperature really is sort of like a some you know guys way back in the scientific scientific literature call it a master abiotic factor. You know, it's like it controls like. You know, for sport fish, like when they're eating, when they're not eating, when they're spawning, yeah. um, where they're moving to, the habitat they're using, just like pretty much every part of their life history. And a lot of places, we don't have just a basic baseline of like what these streams are at. So that's what kind of my favorite part about the work I'm doing now is I've got these tiny little loggers out there, like the size of like a half dollar. And uh-huh. I think I've got a hundred and about 110 of them spread out all across the hill country. And, uh, so are, are they, you are having they, to go and physically read them? Yeah. That's, okay. Yeah. That's How often are, are you at collecting well, that data? Well, they got a long battery life and a long memory life. Um, oh, so, so you can download the information. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I can do it Bluetooth remotely, but I have to be like like right within 10 feet of the logger, basically. You know, as, so as far as you can connect to your speaker or, or whatever. Yeah. And it's got to be out of the water. Oh, it does have to be out of the water. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever like used Bluetooth. a GoPro yeah. Bluetooth. I was so excited when I figured out I could GoPro Bluetooth, and then I stuck it underwater, and it cuts immediately. So I've never tested it. Until we it, figure so. that out, until you know, fisheries technology <laughs> comes <laughs> that far. Waterproof Bluetooth. <laughs> we'll have grad students running around and, and pulling stuff out. And it's crazy. I mean, we try and attach these things and kind of hide them. You know, like I said, they're small. Um, I like epoxy them a lot of times. We use this marine epoxy. Um and I'll stick them underneath boulders and underneath bridges, and sometimes I'll zip tie them to like the inside of a cypress root. Uh-huh. Um, but man, we've had all kinds of problems with uh, my lab mate has a very similar project. He's got a bunch of his loggers down on San Felipe Creek in mm-hmm. Del Rio and uh, Pinto Creek, just uh, east of there. 
But uh, yeah, but I mean, people rip them out. People will, like really? look at them. Yeah, like what is this thing? And yeah. then, I guess like, I could see that. And then my, some of my loggers, man, on the Nuasis, I was like, okay, like you know, when we put them out, we like draw a picture and like mark an X. We take a couple, you know, photos on our phone and stuff, and then you go back and you look at the picture. And you're like, okay, well that tree's not there anymore, <laughs> so I guess my logger's gone. Like, <laughs> had another one downstream of that. It's like, okay, that's that boulder. Well, half of it's buried under 15 foot of gravel. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so. And it's the half that has my logger on it. So. <laughs> that kind of thing. So, yeah, but the, these thermometers are constantly taking the temperature. So when you take the data, you have data over a long months period. And months, months and months and months. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they, they do it every 15 minutes. And so wow. by the end of the project, I'll have like literally millions of data points to analyze. It's uh, wow. kind of crazy. And then do you sit down at the computer and personally analyze all those data points? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got a lot of support. My professor, Matt Troya, he's a, he's sort of a, a, we call him an R god. He's a, we use a software called R. It's a statistical yeah. software that you can use to import data and wrangle it a lot easier than you would. So w- when we get the data, it's in a CSV format, which is basically, you can read it in Excel, you know. and It, okay, it so just looks I- like a list. Like it's like timestamp and temperature. Like it's That's pretty simple, like two columns. Is, yeah. But when you're doing with millions of them, you know, you got to be able to like sort of create loops in the software and, and right. code your way into. So you just go there with your the phone data. and download literally download it from your phone. It's like this. It's like open up your phone, click the button, <laughs> click a button on your phone, and then go straight to the cloud. And then when I get back to the lab, I put them all on a hard drive, and then I go sit down with my professor, and we well, we kind of wrangle it in a single well, database. Then what's, That's cool. What's crazy is then you have to take all those millions of data points. And compare them to was there a flash flood event? Yeah. Was there a rain? Was there what was the temperature at outside the outside temperature? Did that have an effect? There's a lot you can do. A lot There's of ways like, you can look at it. Yeah. Uh, and so okay, so you're you're getting how does it change longitudinally? You know, you're going from a spring associated site. A lot of these loggers we put right next to a spring, and then we intentionally went a couple miles down. You know, maybe to the confluence of a river, and say, well, how does it? What about upstream of this confluence versus downstream? Is this is this creek helping buffer the temperature? And you know, instead of getting to the thirty five, it gets to thirty two downstream of there. But uh, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. So okay, so you're getting this baseline data mm-hmm. for what the river temperature is, and at the same time, you're going to compare that to how fish thrive in certain temperatures. And then are you going to go collect, um, like, get samples as far as like? how many fish there are in certain areas of the river as well? Nope. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Two years in and out. Um, you know, that's that's an interesting question. Like, right. this, this all, all this research is going to lead to more questions like that. Yeah, I hope, yeah. You know? Um, but, yeah, habitat associations can get pretty complicated. I've worked on another project in my lab uh, on the mission reach of the San Antonio, actually, where we were uh, shocking up Guadalupe bass, and uh, I think I was telling you all about that. Yeah, the yeah. Other day. Like <laughs> monster carp yeah. and stuff. And, like, yeah, that's an awesome fishery. <laughs> totally. If you live in San Antonio and you haven't fished the Mission Reach, like you got to go try. It, it'll. It doesn't look like much until you pull in like you know a sixteen-inch Guadalupe bass. It's just oh, you know, ripping your drag. <laughs> but um, yeah. So what uh, she was doing was uh, taking these fish and like so when you're you know we're electrofishing them on a Parks and Wildlife boat and uh, basically you you know you lean over the fish rolls up comes to the surface. You net it in the very exact spot, you know, within about a meter of where you netted it, you drop a float. And then here comes Mary, you know, she's the student on the project behind the boat, you know, not getting shocked, you know, but right. 100 yards back or whatever. 
And uh, she would go over to that spot and take all kinds of uh, what we call habitat, like covariates, you know, the depth of the water, the velocity, is is there a tree above you, is there rocks, is there all that stuff. She's taking water temperature as well, or? I'm not sure. Okay. Um, Yeah, I was always the one that was on the front of the boat. Yeah, I don't know know what's going on back there. I'm just not the fish. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But no, I mean, there's there's lots of levels to that. It's like, you know, a whole other question to ask. Yeah. uh, my project's mostly focused on temperature alone as a physiological factor. And then, uh, yeah, so that's the, the lab portion. The field yeah. portion is just temperature data. So. Any surprises you've you've seen when you have um, done the shocking? Oh, uh, man, shocking's always surprising. I was going to say. I mean, it's it <laughs> it's like my like, favorite thing to yeah, do. Yeah, you don't know where you're going to pull up. Yeah, so, I mean, I've only gotten to go out on the mission reach probably um, you know, less than a dozen times, but... Um, Every time it surprised me just the size of the fish there and the amount of them. Um, and then for my work, most of the it's actually been with just a saint net collecting our fish. You know, we're, we're going out there just to bring fish back to the lab. So it actually can kind of, you know, you don't want to shock them because it's just a one more factor to induce stress before you haul them. But before you, know, you torture them, <laughs> before I put them in the, <laughs> yeah, a, might make them boil a little faster. <laughs> exactly. You get it. But um, yeah. Okay. So if, if you're, Collecting the fish for your research, you're not shocking them before. Yeah, we, we tried it once in Cibolo Creek and brought some darters back to the lab. And uh, it was a combination of it was a really hot day and some other stuff. And we ended up losing, you know, probably 10 or 15% of them, which is, wow. you know, it's not, I mean, it wasn't the end of the world, but it's like we really, most of the time when we bring fish back, we don't lose any. So right. it was like, okay, now, it was probably you, the shocking. Like, are so you re releasing them or? Yeah, when you release them, I think they're fine. Like, so you do re-release them after you test their. Oh no, no! When we boil them in the lab, nope. Uh, <laughs> You're like <laughs> <laughs> the endpoint there. Uh, so we have several behavioral. Uh, I'll just walk you through the. You know, yeah. so you put them in the jar uh-huh. on a hot plate, right? Yeah, yeah. And, oh, uh, on the hot plate. The yeah, first thing we're hot. measuring is yeah. you know uh, the loss of writing response, all LRR. A lot of people call it loss of equilibrium. It's when a fish goes kind of belly up. You know, yeah, when you get like so you ever caught a fish and you've been finding it for too long and they're kind of tilting like that, it's they lose that riding response. So that first time they lose that, we measure the temperature and uh, and, uh, and everything. So, and then so the, we the were second joking with saying it's boiling, you're really, you're literally you're boiling. really <laughs> getting into the yeah, it's not getting to 212 degrees. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, but yeah, it's getting to like 100. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're seeing. And then the second dairy behavioral response is um, the when they stop flaring their operculum, you know, their gill cover, mm-hmm. which is, you know, basically stop breathing. It's right. Essentially death. Dying. So, yeah. Yeah. But um, it's a little bit morbid, you know, but you don't have to have a huge sample size, about a right. hundred fish, you know, and all of these fish are um, a conservation concern, I guess. Right. Uh, but, you know, learning about them and, and doing this is um, not affecting them on a population level scale. Right. We're learning a lot about it. You know, it's, it's baseline data about their, you know, Life history, so well, just because their size are probably overlooked quite often too. Yeah. But they're such an important part of our whole ecosystem. Man. Absolutely, I was kind of hoping you were going to release some like teenage mutant ninja turtle fish, like <laughs> <laughs> back in the river. Nice. You know, become super minnows. Yeah, super minnows. Super minnows. Dude, some of these fish, yeah, they don't. I mean, I've had a couple ones. So actually, I could break down the lab data even further. What I was just referring to, you know, where you stick them on a hot plate and boil them. Um, we call those acute assays, you know, uh-huh. or they take less than an hour to, to do them. And you're basically increasing the temperature by half a degree Celsius over that whole time period. And right. as soon as they have those, you know, behavioral responses, that's it. when you, you mark it and stop it. Yeah. And then the other half is uh, what we call chronic assays, which is kind of more interesting. A lot of it's, it's uh, 
even more of a, a data gap. And not a lot of these have been done, I don't think. But uh, what it is is you, you, you take a fish and um, you, we do like five of them at a time. You put them in a little 10-gallon aquarium. And you're standing and, and you have a, a heater in there with a thermostat that cranks up pretty slowly. And they maintain um, a sort of a non-lethal acutely temperature, you know, let's say like 95 degrees right. or, you know, 30-something degrees Celsius. And we sustain that over a period of you know, 24 hours or a day or 20 days and right. and see what those long-term warming effects are. like. Right, because there might be something different. Like, I mean, obviously, if you shock a fish by raising the temperature every couple minutes by half a degree. It could just I be mean, shock. Yeah. And exactly. that's not exactly ecologically, like... How it happens. Um, yeah. Right, like, relevant. yeah, the, the river temperature isn't just going to change yeah. in a few yeah. minutes, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, so I I guess that would make sense because the fish might adapt over time and actually yeah. be able to sustain higher temperatures. Exactly. And, you know, like these bedrock shallow areas, like I'm talking all these hill country rivers, you know, we fell fish those spots. Um, I'm, I think a lot of them get hotter than we think. And I think that I've kind of observed this, like, anecdotally growing up fishing uh, the North Fork of the Guadalupe it it um it feels like all the fish just vacate. Like you go there anytime after like four o'clock in the afternoon, you're just like, okay, where did everything go? Yeah, there's you only know? so many places to go. <laughs> yeah, and and so for some of those you know more sensitive species, it's just kind of interesting, you know, habitat data really. So so as a as an angler, how have you used that information? Like what what stuff surprised you in your findings and in doing this for a while, um, and and how has it changed the way you fish? Well, I don't know. Um, that's so a good like question. We talked about, like, you know, the warm temperatures. I'm, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure it sounds like you getting out, you're excited to get out. Yeah. But, but ultimately, when you, when you know, like, this, this summer, we had, I don't know how many straight days of 100-degree weather. Oh, yeah. Right? So, yeah. so it's like, okay, and, and a drought in a lot of areas, too. I guess a good angling perspective would be, like, do some good scouting ahead of time. And uh, either know what your river looks like or get on satellite images. And, you know, let's say you're going to a new spot and you see a nice deep pool um, and you think it's going to be a honey hole, you know. But you look upstream and there's three miles of bedrock right above it. There's a pretty good chance in the summertime that that pool is going to have sort of a delayed thermal effect. Like, like you know, in the evening time like I'm talking about. And you're probably going to want to look downstream of it. Um, just get lower. Right. You know, and just and just... You know, it's all anecdotal or whatever, but get in there and you know, feel what the water temperature's like. And as an angler on those hot summer days, um, I would usually just move downstream and try and find like a so so a deep really pool or something so really like a sink for that heat. Yeah, yeah exactly. And then and yeah. then move on. Like so just, feel yeah as you're waiting, feel that the warm feel that warm, and then transition into kind of cooler water. Yeah, and I bet you and this. Here's a thought I just had actually. So. um there's a specific area I'm kind of picturing in my brain. It's it's called the Rapids uh, at Mo Ranch, and it's way up on the North Fork. And uh, it's just like I'm saying, like four or five miles of bedrock above it. I mean, you could literally walk and not get your knees wet, you know, the whole section. And then you get down to sort of a natural leaf in the in the rock where uh, it channelizes, and there's tons and tons of bait that stacks up there. I say bait, you know, there's like five, six different species of minnows and darters. And, and in the mornings, you can catch tons of bass right below it. Um, but in the evenings, like, dead. Like, no, you're not going to catch anything, you know. And there's mostly just old folks and stuff soaking themselves. They call it the hot tubs, you know. Uh-huh. And there's, <laughs> like, lots of people, too. But um, really what I think is happening there is all the bait is getting forced out of there and, you know, forced out of their refuge and forced downstream. And they probably hug the margins in the river. And, you know, that's 
the best, my, some of my favorite fishing is summertime in the evening and late evenings when you can find like a, you know, a good, a good bite. A little pocket. So, yeah. yeah. So you said you were going to have to defend your thesis. Yep. To graduate. So what do you feel like some of, maybe some of the objections are going to be? Man, that's a good question. I should start thinking about this stuff. I'm still <laughs> definitely in like a data <laughs> collecting phase. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a there's always gaps, right? It, it, as much as you try and cover all your bases for both the lab stuff, you know, like just being very very detail oriented about how it's set up and trying to control for any extraneous variables, you know. And in the field stuff, like, trying to get, like, a good distribution of loggers, like, you know, like, oh, why didn't you put a logger here in between these two? And did you know there's a spring here? All that stuff. I don't, I'm not really sure how it's going to play out. Um, but It sounds like if you are still in the data collecting, you don't even necessarily know what direction your research is pointing fully. You yeah, guys might have absolutely. an idea. We haven't answered anything. You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're, still we're still plotting, gathering. Yep. There's, there's a lot of ways you can look at it once it's done, too, and... I feel like most of the questions that I'll probably be hit with at the end are going to be like, uh, why did you look at it that way? You know, but there are some methodical things as well. Yeah. yeah. How you set up a scientific project. So I, sure it's all new to me, honestly. I've been working in the fisheries science world for my whole life, basically, or my whole career, you know, professionally. Um, and this is my first project that I've really been in charge of. You know, I've, I've, I've helped a lot from a, you know, data collection standpoint um, when I was working for Parks and Wildlife. But this is definitely the first time it's been like, you this some, is your project. Do you have some minions working for you that you get to... Nope. No? <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Sure don't. I've got a good buddy, though. i got a uh, my buddy Garrett Tucker. Shout out to Garrett. He's the <laughs> best lab man I could ask for. Uh, we're, we have very similar projects. I mentioned him earlier. He's got some loggers down in San Felipe Creek, mm. Del Rio, and Pinto Creek as well. And, uh Yeah. We just kind of lean on each other. We're doing the same. He's working with different species. He's you got the Devil's River minnow, which is a really unique. It's very similar to um, one of my study species, the Guadalupe roundnose minnow. And I'm just dropping all these common names, but uh, they're cool. They're 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 spring obligate little fish, you know, and endemic to Texas, both of them. And uh, I guess the common name for that genus of minnows is the desert minnows, which is why I think they're so unique. Is like you don't think of fish as inhabiting deserts very often, you know, but they're just happens to be a huge diversity of these desert minnows in uh, northern Mexico and central Texas. And yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, like, yeah. they're beautiful fish. I mean, for oh, yeah. being, Very handsome know. little yeah, minnows. Very, <laughs> handsome. Especially when spawning season, they, they get all colored up. Their fins yeah. get very yeah. bright. A lot of people don't get to see these fish, and uh, it's a big mission of mine to sort of capture them and, and share them with folks. So this is, this is a good transmission uh, transition to... <laughs> And that 10% all hands, it's hard. Yeah, it's kicking <laughs> in. Here we go. It is, uh, yeah, it's hard. A good transition is to talk about uh, maybe your 15 minutes of fame. You were mm. on TV. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yes. funny funny story before, uh, and I told you this whenever we, me, you, and Zach went out. My dad actually sent me that video oh. and uh, of the Texas Parks and Wildlife show, and I didn't think it was real. <laughs> I thought no, it was a joke. No. I thought like, it was that was a like joke. their first episode of the season two, and they like cold open with like micro fishing. Yeah, like, I was what? like, yes. So well, yeah. I saw the video. I was like, this can't be real. This is a joke. And I'm like, and then he's in a wetsuit. Like yeah. what? Oh, yeah. In the hill country, yeah. in a wetsuit and a snorkel, and he's fishing. I'm like, this, this, this is a, this is a joke. And then I watch. I'm like, no, this doesn't seem like a joke. No. <laughs> no. 
Okay, so talk to us about. Yeah, I just want to say that show. Uh, I got a text today from another Parks and Wildlife guy. Guy I just met actually. He's a state bat biologist. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. he's he's a uh, new in town in Kerrville. Oh, and, you know what? Can you uh, do us a favor? Can you go ahead and ask him about throwing uh, rolled up socks <laughs> at a bat flying if they're not gonna react? at the bat? Okay. <laughs> so, all right, this is a podcast. This is the tenth time we're explaining. This is a podcast thing. Yes. So, growing up. You know, what we would do is we put like a tennis ball or something in a tube sock, right? You'd swing <laughs> it up, you'd swing it, swing it, swing it, and then you'd launch it into the sky, and then the bats would think it's something, and they would chase it and bomb with the sock until it came to oh, the ground. Oh, wow. Right. So, like, you would just see them bomb dive it, you know? Yeah. But then they would, you know, they wouldn't run to the ground. They wouldn't do anything. They would just realize, like, oh, it's not, you know, an insect or something, and they would... You know, fly away. I'm gonna text him. Yeah, please. Yeah. Can, it was, we, we need it was confirmation cool. on this. Could, Can could, we could just get him on the podcast? Yeah, yeah. yeah no, Nate's, could, Nate's you, the man. It dude. was He'll, cool. Yeah. You could you could take a tennis ball, you'd ro- throw it in a sock, throw it up, and the bat would literally be like, "Oh, that's got to be something," and they would chase it down to like your face level, and then it would realize something. It would Maybe yeah. we, 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 he's your bat guy. He's literally the state biologist yeah. for bats. Like, yeah. he's let's, like the let's only get one. him on the podcast. Yeah, yeah and he texted me at like two o'clock today, and he goes, oh, "Oh, by the way, we were on the same. Ep- he was the next segment after me. I'm pretty sure uh-huh. on that same episode, he did the best. Oh, really? So, okay, so we need to watch the next segment. There you go. Yeah. We just watched. Yours. And he goes, "Dude, our PBS episode has been nominated for a local Emmy." Hey! Oh, like the, the was that only Lone about a year Star ago? Emmy chapter. Nice. Uh, no way! Emmy's an Emmy, man. I was still working for Parks and Wildlife when I shot it, but uh, well, let's see. He it, like sent me a picture of the filmmaker guys that we worked with. And it made yeah. the rounds for old. us about a year ago. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wait, that sounds about right. Speaking of filmmaker guys. Oh yeah, he he has a connection. Oh yeah, with yeah. So is it Alvarado married you? Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Yes. We have to go back to that episode. Alvarado Austin. married me. Yeah, yeah. Austin. And my wife. Yeah, yeah. 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 You guys remember the the deep in the heart, deep in the heart episode? Cinematographer Austin. Shout out Austin Alvarado. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he actually mentioned you on the podcast. He did. Yeah, he yeah. shouted. This is the, the shout back out. Yeah. And we did not know you at that time. And Austin oh. did not introduce us. We just happened to meet you at Oktoberfish. Yeah. And then we like, connected oh, all the guy, dots. Man. Yeah. Man, it's... I owe that guy a lot, cool. man. He And I owe that movie a lot. And that was definitely a turning point in my life. I'm going to look... I'm glad that they made that movie because now I can look back at it for the rest of my life. I can show my children in the future at some point, you know, yeah. and, and be like, yeah, man, that was good time for me see i don't have that i just have like an instagram page which i'm sure when my kid gets older it'll be it'll be almost like a myspace page whatever you got yeah. Yeah. and if you find yeah. me on myspace i got i digitally changed my eye color to blue because that was cool oh, yeah. okay nick so let's back, we, oh, the back bats, to the, the team bats. No, I guess that was the end of that plot point. We got nominated for an Emmy. Okay. That was nice. Okay. Okay. That's awesome. Nice. We so, did the microfishing thing. Okay, so talk to us about, so you were on a PBS, the Texas Parks and Wildlife PBS show. Right. About what? Microfishing. Okay. Explain what that is to our listeners who have never heard of this before. The definition of microfishing. Microfishing is where you go out with the tiniest hooks you can find and you catch the tiniest fish you can find. Yeah, you have size 30 hooks right there. Yeah, I got some in my hand right now. I'm looking at them. These are uh, specialty. They're Japanese tonigo hooks. Um, that's sort of the origin of microfishing. came from Japan. And um, tonigo, I call them tonigo hooks. They're specifically designed for a Japanese fish um, that it's called a tonigo. And um, 
they're tiny, and they, they hosted these big tournaments there, from what I understand. Now, was um, were the, was their goal to catch and release, or was their goal to catch as many as possible? Catch and release, and, then, like, and it was them. the winner would be the one who caught the smallest yes. fish. Yeah. Like, if you could put the fish on, like, a single, you know, coin, I can't, I don't know what the... But, really? but this species, they do, they do cook them... Tonigo? Yeah. Maybe. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, like thought, they cook them like, like a bunch of them, right? Yeah, and yeah. Kind of oh, really? like a soup almost. Yeah, like I mean, like, you oh. know, they're not, they're, yeah, they're, it's, it's, I, I feel I like. I want to go there and like, and yeah, like and dive see, into this whole scene. Away. I feel like, like yeah. I've seen an episode of something that talked about this, talked about, you know, catching, in Japan, yeah. in those streams, catching small these small fish. Yeah, they're like a carp, actually. They're in the same, yeah. I think they're cypren in the same and, family, and, yeah. And, you know, they're, they're I mean, they're catching kind of four-inch, five-inch fish. That's what they look like. There, there's a yeah, like there. they weren't very. I just remember not being big, but just like okay, they put them in their and their deal go home and and you know put them on the um, put them on the on the, catch on the grill. Yeah, yeah. A little catch and cook, like almost almost skewering and them. Honestly, you could probably do that with some uh, North American micros too. Yeah. You know, people always ask me. I haven't done it yet, but um, I've seen some micro fishing YouTubers do like a little catch and cook with a darter oh. or whatever. But um. <laughs> It's this whole thing. The Japanese, salty. they're like the best fishermen in the world, man. And they came up with all kinds of crazy stuff. I always lo- love using their gear. But um, from they kind of pioneered it from what I understand. Yeah. And the way, the context that it moved into North America was, um, the first I heard of it was through a group called the North American Native Fishes Association. They're a whole bunch of group. They're a group of like hobbyists as well as scientists who love to... Um, keep native fish in aquaria love to fish for them love to really experience them in any way they can and just celebrate uh the diversity the huge biodiversity of freshwater fish we have in north america um because it's pretty crazy i mean a lot of people don't realize that there are literally hundreds and hundreds of fish species no in talking never to you when of. uh at the at the um, what was that october october fish so so talking to you about that and, and even when we went out after um you know it it was it was cool to listen to you talk about and the passion about going oh yeah when i was out there they you know there was this on on this mouth of of this flow here and on this yeah. corner it's like it's almost learning like, different habits yeah it's, it's almost like birding where yeah. if you don't pay attention to those things you miss a lot of things around you absolutely i mean that's why i won that tournament i think um you know it wasn't a ton of people competed in that multi-species tournament that weekend <laughs> yeah. but uh it's really like knowing the habitats so like i was using pretty much the same fly the whole time but i was like okay i got my cichlid i got my red breast i got my long ear i finished fishing the flow let me move to some slack water i can get a bluegill and a red ear let me fish under that brush try and get a warm mouth yeah um, when they had that competition i would have never thought about going after small species yeah like that well actually they wouldn't let me do micros but it's it's really just the idea of getting into the habitat and what you learn with micro fishing is um something that you would never learn about these species otherwise. You know, when you actually, like, so, so I guess let me rewind a little bit into how I got into microfishing. Yeah. Um, so I spent a lot of time, um, you know, in college, and I guess even before that was probably the first time I ever picked up a seine net um, and, you know, collecting fish for scientific purposes and for bait, you know, with, you know, me and my dad would pull a seine net and, uh, catch a bunch of minnows and use them for bait. And it's easy. And when I got into college and got into research, we started electrofishing. It's easy. Um, and I started catching all kinds of crazy species um, that I really started to learn and appreciate. I got really good at fish ID. 
then I was like, but I don't want, I wanted to know them better. And I heard about microfishing and I realized once I started doing it, that you can learn something about a fish by hooking it that you can't learn any other way. Like what they're eating, what they're looking at, how they respond to you, how they respond to the habitat around them. It's really like a whole ecological lesson wrapped up. Um, and the hook is the, the point of it, you know? Um, so that's why I really like microfishing from, from a personal practice perspective. It's just for fun for me to like, when I get a new species, I feel like I learn something. Right. Um, but from a broader perspective, I'm like a, honestly, I got to, I spend most of my time fishing. Like it's probably like, you know, it's, I'm almost 50, 50 fly and spin fishing. Now I grew up mostly spin fishing, but I've been fly fishing like five, six years. And then within that, I spend less than like 10% of my time, um, micro fishing 10 to 20. Honestly, um, I do it intentionally when I am in a new area and I I know there's a new species, but kind of once I've checked one off the list, um, and I've learned everything. I've learned that lesson about that species. I move on a lot of times. Gotcha. Okay. And so if I'm just in my, you know, I don't have a lot of free time as a grad student. So, you right. know, I'm in my home stretch and I'm like, Oh, I've already caught all these cool species. I just want to go out and enjoy myself, throw a top water, throw like a dry fly, throw some exciting and just but, enjoy But even myself. then when you, when you come to a new, I, I feel like in learning the stuff about the micro aspect of it and going to a new stretch of river, and fly fishing for things. Are you are you already going like okay? This is this type of water. It's this the, you know. I know they're going to be these type of minnows in these areas. Um, so that's how you're determining you know what your colors are and your size of. It's mostly bait fishing. Okay. Yeah. So it's like I'll I'll go and scout an area for what species are there. I'll get in textbooks and I'll get on uh, iNaturalist. I use a lot. And see, like, where people have observed certain species. You can search it by species. It'll drop you pins, like, you know. Unless it's a protected species, it'll give you, like, a boundary box. Because I'll be honest, I mean, I feel like with with fly fishing, it's like you get in a new spot, and, like, I'm going to throw topwater, especially down here, summertime Texas. I'm throwing topwater, or I'm throwing a clouser. Mm -hmm. But but having the knowledge of the micro species um, and minnows and stuff like that, I feel like would be a benefit to understand, like, okay, I need a clouser, but I need it this color. And I needed I this, you know, and, and that that's like that's what I'm, for I me. The first step is it. always finding the fish, and then it's like, what do they want? Yeah, and that's the next step in the lesson, you know. It's well, like uh, so you take habits. And so by finding the fish, first, yeah. um, you know, a lot of the ways anglers approach finding fish is usually by catching them, right? Right. Yeah. With microfish, you can't always just jump right on top of them. You know, there's so many other factors to go into, it. and so I do a lot of snorkeling. Um, I mean, I just get in the water and scout. Like that's my scout, and I think that's something that a lot of other anglers could benefit from. Oh, that's like yeah, that's like, like you say thing. it, and I'm like, you see structure man. you've never seen before. You yeah, know? you see fish doing idea. in places you would never think there should be a fish there. You Especially know? home waters. I mean, we all got our our favorite spots to go to. I know, and I we don't like oh, there's a yeah. yeah, and and snorkel yeah. the San Antonio. That's why you got to get a wetsuit too, because in the wintertime it gets crystal clear. You know, you get to see shit you wouldn't even see in the summertime. You but it's swimming it, freezing you know. cold. But it's freezing. Well, see, cold. I I don't know. I'd hate to do that in the San Antonio. Is that obviously. why you were wearing <laughs> a wetsuit in, in the TV show, even though it looked warm, but you were in a wetsuit? It did look warm. Yeah, that was that was rough actually. So that was the springtime, and man, it was pretty hot out there. But that site we were on, it was um, right on top of a spring. It was basically the headwaters of the Guadalupe, and uh, I knew that after five minutes of being in the water, I was gonna be shivering my ass off yeah. just just not going to be able to make it through and the way that you know i'd never been a part of like a i'd helped out with some production films before and i knew how long it was going to take in between shots 
And so they like they're like, all right, put the wetsuit on, and then we'll start breaking down the scene. I'm like, are you sure I can't put it on like later? Like once we get down there, and they're like, no, there's got to be continuity. You know, right. we, we can't need, have you in. A we wet can't suit. have you not in the wetsuit, and yeah. then all of a sudden you're in one. And so yeah, I just sat there for like three hours in the boiling sun. And um, I mean, I would think that'd be okay though. I feel right. like you like, could. I'll just say when, once I got in that water, it felt that much. See, better. you could be in regular clothes, and there can be like a short B-roll. F- scene of you putting the wetsuit on like zipping up the back or yeah, something right, just and then <laughs> and that's your b-roll transition to no now, complaints honestly at the end of the day it, those guys they did a great job but uh, that wetsuit did shoot it awesome. was nominated for an emmy apparently yeah L- lone, <laughs> lone star emmy yeah, yeah. That, that's hilarious it was a whole lot of fun and I, was, I really was glad at the attention it brought and i guess what i was i was hoping to get out earlier is so like for me that's that's why i microfish right it's like learning about new species that's that was the original motivation was just I like biodiversity. I love how many fish are out there and I love reading about them, but I love catching them more. And it's like a, it's like an accomplishment thing, right? It's like having a pokey deck, you know, and you just check them all off. And yeah. It's, it's very like numbers oriented for sure. But, um, on a broader scale, like, um, you know, the way that our whole fisheries management works in this country, it works pretty well. Like we North American model, I'm on board, right? Like hunters and anglers fund, conservation for sure and i've been buying a fishing license every year of my life since i could um and that's why i want to draw attention to these underfish species you know there's tons of underfish species out there you know i'm a huge advocate for suckers and gar and and everything else um but i think if we can get we can almost pull in a whole new group of constituents people who otherwise wouldn't go buy a fishing license because they don't have a bass boat or because they don't you know, live close to a stream or something or what they think is a nice stream. Whereas micro fishing can be so attainable because you can get a, a bamboo pole or a $20 tank car rod knockoff and some tiny little hooks, you know, it really is the hooks are the key. As long as right. you have hooks, you can do whatever and walk down. I mean, within probably a couple hundred yards of here, we could find a puddle with some mosquito fish in it, you know, yeah. and it's a great way to get kids involved. It's a great way to, get um you know urban folks involved it's a great way to not get skunked when you're out there <laughs> getting skunked yeah and you're like i gotta catch something today so <laughs> always 30 keep on. just a little size 30 pack of japanese yeah. hooks in your bag and uh yeah okay, so I'm, a, I'm an advocate and i think it's going to bring more um sort of people into the fold and on board with our you know conservation strategy than than we would have otherwise because uh, honestly i think that uh, we're losing anglers in this in this the way the world is changing the way we're urbanizing people are getting more disconnected from from, from animals and wildlife and uh, and microfishing is a great way well, to connect because yeah. especially counting the species when you focus on that you really realize there's a ton of biodiversity in my backyard yeah or you can go somewhere beautiful like you know spring on the Guadalupe well, and experience that we and, reported on a story from uh, the Rio Grande in New Mexico where they had. Uh, a drought issue or a dam shutdown or something. Yeah. And there were a bunch of people out there moving minnows. Ain't no water. You got to go yeah. and rescue they were, them. They were, they, yeah. there was an endangered species that they were trying to like They, move they out did of something like that or they have been planning something like that in Texas recently up on the upper Brazos and they've done it with Guadalupe bass in the past. It's an interesting new strategy and that we're we, taking we, for after, droughts. After I read the story, we had a conversation, but like we report on the story, made the news obviously, but does anybody care because they're micro fish and they're not game fish? Yeah. Right. I but that's you. what the game you know what I, mean? I want them to care, that's, you know. Well, yeah. it's also like they're still I think an important those, I part. think those ones you're talking about too, the uh uh in New Mexico. It was on the Rio Grande. Yeah. 
yeah, they were probably Hibonathus, uh, is a, is a big river minnow that used to be, um, all up and down the Rio Grande, the, uh, the Rio Grande silvery minnow, I'm pretty sure. And, uh, there's some Hibonathus, there's a, there's a pretty diverse genus. There's all over the Southeast and there's some in the Brazos river. I've, I've encountered them there. I've never seen the Rio Grande, um, silvery minnow, but they're impressive, dude. Like, I think you would be surprised. Like, I know you bought a tank car rod the other day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> at Oktoberfish. <laughs> They'll put a bend in your pole, dude. Like, they, they're they pretty... I'm, I'm not saying to go out and target, you know, endangered endemic species, <laughs> but uh, I think you'd be surprised how much fun it is to, you know, chase after some... And these minnows n- are not always small. Like, uh, I was down at Cibolo Creek the other day. Um, awesome spot for a ton of different species. You know, I think we talked about that a little bit, yeah. Oktoberfish. Uh, right there, Bernie City Park. I'll spot burn it, man. I encourage everyone to go out there and kind of experience it. There's hundreds of green throat darters there. One of my favorite uh, microfish to target. They're really hard to see, so good luck. But like, if you can get a tiny little hook into one of those riffles, there's literally hundreds of these rainbow-colored, beautiful fish. So Bernie Lake or Bernie City or the Bernie City Park, so Park. So right Lake? by the swimming pool, or you know, like the Bernie, you know, where the everybody. Yeah, so Cibolo Creek. Yeah, Cibolo. Yeah, that. It's so below low. the wastewater discharge. Nice. Below. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's Dude. treated. It's treated discharge. It's classic. Right. Yeah, it's fine. It's classic. Like, I drove by the other day though. It's so low. Yeah. Yeah. Cibolo Creek is like the lowest I've ever seen it. Yeah. It's good for the darters. So they like the shallow yeah, I, don't, I don't. I don't know. And there's there's uh, stone rollers is what I was getting at in there. I, I mean the viewers can't see what I'm doing with my hands here, but they're It big, almost looks like you're playing kidding. the little uh, kick football game in school. You have oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like it's yeah. like the size of like a Game Boy Advance. It's yeah. a stone yeah. roller yeah. that large. The wide one, not the SP. Yeah, the wide one. Not, <laughs> the, not the laptop one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're cool minnows. I call them riffle cows. They mostly eat algae and stuff, but you can catch them on nymphs. I mean, I'm surprised more fly fishers don't catch them on like zebra midges and stuff. Really? But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the thing about this gear too. I'm talking about these specialty Japanese hooks, but Really, you don't need that to microfish. No. Go to yeah. your local fly shop. If you're already a fly fisherman, get some dry fly hooks, dude. 18 is perfect. I think 18 is really? great. Really? Okay. 18 is a great number. Um, and this is pretty common. But you can catch them. You can catch some species on 16s and, and yeah. bigger. But, um, you know, you don't have to go up to 30 is, is, is the point there. Yeah. I mean, you can, if you know what you're looking for, know where the fish are at. And you see a big minnow making some movement or a big darter. Um, so I, I don't know if you it. want to get into this on the podcast, but we talked about it after Oktoberfish. Were you 100% legal? Oh, no, I will get into that. That's okay. important. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> when you were there filming. Is, there the, is a Parks and Wildlife regulation that states that you cannot use a hand-operated device held underwater to take fish. Yes. Um, something like that. You can yeah, go look yeah. it up. It's under the legal means and methods online. So um, a net's okay, but like you're talking about some type of hand operated device. So here, I'll tell you this. So held underwater. I met up with my dad because he sent me the micro fishing video, and then I on my way to Lubbock, I stopped by and said, "Hey, you'll never guess what happened. I met the micro fishing guy that you sent me the video of. He's the coolest dude ever. We're gonna have him <laughs> <on> the podcast." <laughs> <laughs> and then I was telling him about the story about how someone had emailed you about there yeah. being a Texas Parks and Wildlife violation in your video. And he was like, we, and he was like, oh, that makes sense because I know what that's for. 
he was watching an episode of Lone Star Law. Oh. And uh, there were some people noodling. They got a violation for having a... Gaffing them under there? Having a hand-operated device, I guess, to poke around and yeah. see where the holes are. That's exactly why they made that yeah. law. And it makes sense. Yep. Definitely. Right, like So, like, hand fishing is sort of like a new fishery um, in Texas. And uh, there were some biologists I worked with, actually, um, that were researching sort of the impacts of that fishery. And there was a lot of unknowns, you know, because it's, it's just something that, you know, regulators weren't familiar with. And, uh, they threw that regulation out from what I understand. Uh, they went up to the commission, made this regulation that you can't get under water with like a hook and, and go and hook a fish right. underwater. Cause they were worried it was going to be too much take of, you know, catfish and other, species that I guess noodlers were targeting. That's exactly where it came from. And I'm cr- it's interesting to hear that Lone Star Law actually did. I need to watch that show some more, man. It's they do everything. They you need to know if their yeah. faces... They cover it all. They cover it all. If their face is blurred, they're getting a ticket. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my... F- yeah, I love that show. Um, but we filmed that PBS show without knowing that. And uh, after the fact, I was... Uh, it was actually a coworker of mine. Uh, he was a biologist I worked with. And uh, he was like, you know, that's illegal. I was like, what? Now, what you were doing, let me explain what you were doing in the show. In the show, you were snorkel and everything, and you had this tiny rod, maybe, if I were to guess, maybe a foot and a half long. Yeah. At most. It's in the truck, yeah. Um, (laughs) And this rod was fully submerged underwater. Some of the time. Some of the time. Yeah. And you were kind of like jigging with your little hooks. Yeah, and And I'm I'm in really shallow water. Yeah. And I'm looking for the fish, and then I'm, I'm... Finding them, I'm putting a bait right in front of their face because they don't move much. These darters I was targeting, and um, you really need to get like right on top of them. And once you hook them, especially if you're underwater, you kind of need a stiff backbone. And so holding the tip of the rod underwater helps you get a little bit better set. And um, it's it's this whole thing. Anyway, didn't think anything of it at the time, Um, but I was informed about this law. We looked at it. I was like, oh. And I actually went on to teach uh, a microfishing kind of 101 class during the lockdown where we, uh, I got on with some other Parks and Wildlife biologists, another guy from a, a nonprofit, and we uh, taught a microfishing course online and went through some, you know, some fish ID and some gear basics and, and really the whole thing. Um, but before we went into that, I was like, we need to figure this out. We need to like reach out to someone. And so emails were sent around internally with Parks and Wildlife and um, one went up to basically, from what I understand, like the head of their law enforcement division, and he was like, "Yep, from our, you know, interpretation of the law, that is illegal. Do not do that. You can get, you know, however much the ticket is or whatever. Right? Like, don't hold a fishing rod underwater. So again, it's just the interpretation, and that, and well, no, the what, interpretation of the highest guy in law enforcement is don't do that, or you're getting no, no, a ticket. no, no, no. But again, a law is a, a law is a law that nece- wasn't necessarily written for what you were doing. Wasn't it? Right. Definitely wasn't. Wasn't right. Speci- yeah. Specifically, nobody knew that existed. <laughs> but, but again, when you're talking about the interpretation of the law from a legal perspective, if he's saying what you did, per this is how it's written. Words are important. Is you just it happens to fall into that? Yeah. So, to the listeners, um, hold your hands above the the water. Hold your stuff above the, the rod water. tip. Yeah. At least the rod tip can be poking out, right? The device uh, can't be held underwater. I guess yeah, if okay. some of it is above the water, then you're probably fine. Right, like as long as a little uh, bit of it. So uh, if you're in six inches of water with a snorkel, just hold your hand up a little bit. Yeah, you should be okay. Um, yeah, yeah. And another disclaimer: 
don't target imperiled species. Um, it's against the law. Threatened and endangered species, don't chase after them. Um, they're really cool, unique. You can get down there and swim with them. You can go down to San Marcos and yeah, look, look at fountain darters, and they're real pretty. Yeah. But uh, don't put a hook in their mouth. Well, I, uh, I can't control what I'm going to catch with my urine infrared. It just yeah, happens. and that's the thing is that that it's actually is very much open interpretation. So, like, one of our state-threatened species is a blue sucker, yeah. which occur in the Colorado River. They're they're a big, beautiful Yeah, Alvin sucker. caught one. one Alvin catches client. them yeah. on accident. Yeah. yeah, and it's totally not illegal. But now the problem is if that. you're underwater and looking at what it's going after <laughs> and then, then you're that yeah then right you're and that's and that's where where it's harder to be like oh i didn't know i was doing that is if that's where the whole snorkeling thing gets weird too yeah. but um i don't know i encourage people to snorkel now that i'm not working for parks and wildlife i you know i have a little more freedom to really endorse these things and and it, it's it'll really change the way you look at fish and it'll really change the way yeah. you uh well, there's you nothing fish. illegal with snorkeling anyway no yeah absolutely not but i um, I always uh, still just try and throw that disclaimer out. Yeah, don't yeah. get in trouble with your game wardens. Oh, get no. to know your game wardens; they're great guys. Yes. Um, and if you yeah. ever have a question too of what's illegal or not, just call. Yeah, talk to your game him. warden. Yeah, he will let you know. And he have, might he might be like, "What are you talking about? Yes. <laughs> you're tra- you're targeting what? <laughs> have you have you had anybody uh, come up to you now that you've been on TV and you're kind of like a superstar?" <laughs> have you had come anybody come to you like oh recognize you from the show and be like oh you're the micro fishing guy not that's on TV. a stranger necessarily i've had lots of like well it's a pbs show you know it's early morning local yeah. television <laughs> i've had lots of old friends and uh old people <laughs> reach out to me and be like i saw you on the pbs show the other day because me and shelby my wife we actually got on the uh um, texas country reporter as well we were in the background fishing really we had lots of people reach out to us and like, we saw you on tcr what were you doing out there <laughs> fishing for guadalupe bass in the Hang background um uh, but no i haven't had anybody like well we kind of like second hand you I think when we met at October Fish, then we went fishing afterwards. Oh, yeah. Y'all put it together. Y'all we were the first ones that were like, wait, you're the, the micro fishing yeah, guy. Yeah, we were. Because really you were talking a lot about micro fishing and all this. And then, and we were like, and then wait, I was like, oh, it look looks like, like him. Guy. Yeah, because I was kinda using those like little him. midges for my, my multi species. And then you were very passionate about micro fishing. I was like, wait, are you the micro fishing yeah, guy? Yeah, you were like, I, and, yeah, yeah, I researched yeah, these yeah, darters a minute. Yeah, yeah. Sure am. No, that was hilarious. <laughs> that was a good time. Dude. I well, wish we caught more fish. Y'all got to come back. We'll go up the North Fork and uh, maybe lay into some Rio Grande cichlids. Dude, so you kind of gave a little hot tip spots. for fishing tournaments if you're in a species tournament. Yeah. Uh, give give some people, because I think you pretty handily won that tournament. Yeah. Um, and maybe there are some fish misidentification from some other people. Yeah. Um, but kind of give maybe give our listeners some tips if they're in a multi-species tournament. Some tips on catching multiple species. Um, hmm. Let me think about that. You know, it, it takes a lot of practice to ID fish. Like, it's not an easy thing to do. And it's not an easy thing to do when you're just looking at one fish. And so the best thing you can do is just have a reference of some kind. You know, I started with field guides. Uh, these days, technology's come a long way. We have iNaturalist. Uh, is an awesome resource. I'm mentioned it earlier but um you know it's an app you can have on your phone and you can take a picture of a fish and um it'll immediately have it has a machine learning algorithm if it's a common fish especially like any of the sunfishes any of the bass you know any large fish that you could catch um it'll have a solid guess just based off the software 
what that species is and it'll help you ID it. Um, now, if it can't do that and you can only get it to like a genus or a broader categorization of that fish, um, then people like me will come in. I monitor my naturalist pretty regularly yeah. for things that are posted in Texas. And uh, if there's any question about, you know, what it is, me and a ton of, uh, a huge community really will come in and help ID it. It's actually a um, great tip. It's pretty yeah. sweet, dude. I love INAT. Um, and it is an app as well. Yeah, so that's actually app. how I like to use it. Um, on your phone, you can um, you know, you can take a picture of you using your usual camera app. You know, when you're on the river, it's like I always like open my phone like this, swipe right, and you're on your camera immediately. And make sure you have your geolocation turned on. And then like quick in-hand shot, half wet, you know, keep the fish wet, and, and then just drop it back in. And then later you can go in through the app on your phone and upload it, and it'll do everything automatically, the time, the date, wow. the geolocation. Um, and then when I'm actually like in INAT, I'm using it and I'm viewing things, I use it on my desktop on the in-browser version. Mm. It's, it's much more, it's very much like social media. Like it, you can have subscriptions to certain taxon, and uh, yep, that's it. Gotta and you can like, on. you can like scroll through, like I have a feed, you know, I've, I've, want to learn more about raptors and so i'm subscribing to all the falcons and hawks that get posted in my local county and trying to learn those and i, I see them when they get posted it's it's crazy i could talk for hours about inet to be honest but uh, that's really cool i didn't even know that existed i have the um there's a bird one that i have is it the cornell yeah yeah i yeah. just downloaded that the other day yeah because i had cool. this this little tiny little falcon outside my house that i couldn't yeah pin down for yeah it. and so and you can download yeah. the region and then what's cool too is that in february they do a um it's called like the backyard bird count comp- yeah co- count or competition yeah. where you take a picture of every bird yeah. you see for like two days and you upload them it's really neat that really is the best part of both of these apps is like the citizen science part because researchers really use that data yeah like it goes into a huge database that's open source and like grad students like me and you know professional researchers academia the state everybody uses that gets crowdsourced you know and, and it has to go through a certain verification process like i can't just be like take a picture of this all hands vodka soda and be like, this is a brown trout. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody's um, there to be like... You know. Somebody, the community has to agree on an identification and it becomes research grade. Um, and yeah, it's it's really benefited a lot of things. We've had species that we didn't know they occurred in certain places pop up and, and all sorts of things. So follow INAT on Instagram too. They post like a picture of the day and they usually take a really talented photographer and showcase their stuff. Nice. That's awesome, yeah. yeah. So speaking of all hands, uh, they did a spoof <laughs> off of your micro fishing video. That was so funny, dude. Yeah, and, and you know the might... person who filmed it. Yeah, Natalie Ray. Yeah, yeah, she's a good friend of mine. Yeah, she was she was there um, with me and Austin Alvarado and my wife Shelby Loveland. We all uh, kind of met at the same time. Well, uh-huh. I knew Austin from from working with him, but uh, yeah, he introduced me to Natalie and Shelby same day with a couple other friends, but. Great connections, man. That is dude, probably the crazy. funniest yeah. video I've ever seen. Yeah. She's so tough, dude. She did a great job. And with the mini hands on the finger. Yes. Oh, man. Oh, it's such a good video. You guys will have to go to All Hands social media and find oh, that yeah. video. It's a Definitely. spoof on uh, Nick's microfishing PBS yeah. Emmy-nominated episode. Emmy-nominated. Yes. Oh, man, yeah. Should nominate <laughs> All Hands. <laughs> All right, Nick, so... Where, if people want to follow what you're doing, where can they check you out? 
Um, I would say follow Pearl Haggard on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> the best Instagram name. The best. Yeah. That's Instagram. my wife's Instagram. Yeah, uh, I've never posted. Ever. Yeah, I uh, I've got I've got an Instagram nicklove.land. I've got a life listing Instagram that I started specifically for for keeping track of my fish, and that lasted like ten species, and I kind of fell off of it. Got a new phone, forgot to log back in. Um, that's actually a really good idea. List. Just make like an Instagram account for a life list. Yeah, it's a good way to keep track of it because, um, you know, it's. I actually went through before this podcast and tried to like make an Excel document. You and I were talking about yeah. life yeah. listing, uh, you know, right after our yeah. fish. And uh, I realized I think I had I had about seventy. I thought I was at like forty or fifty, but um, you know, I don't have pictures of them all, and so I feel like it doesn't count. Yeah. You know. Um, so yeah. I think having it, it counts, it counts. Everybody's got their own way. They build their list, right? You know, yeah. some guys are like, Oh, it counts. If I touch it, it counts. If it's in my hand, some guys are like, I have to hook it in the mouth and it has to be intentionally eating it. Some guys are like, you know, just like very particular about their rules. And yeah. that's an important for anybody who wants to start a life list. Like be sure and establish your rules because <laughs> I didn't do that at first, you know? Yeah. And like my first life list was just a field guide. And I was like, check. You know, yeah, and like, then I went back and I started, yeah, I started fly fishing and started angling and was like, oh, like, I don't remember which of these I electro fished and which ones yeah. I, you know, like yeah, whatever. actually caught. And so, um, I'm trying to be better about it, yeah. but you know, it's just like a whole other. Oh, I, oh one yeah. question I forgot to ask you was you, uh, we were going to ask you some of your fishing hot takes because we were kind of oh. getting into some oh, interesting territory. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So what are some fishing or fly fishing hot takes that you have um hmm rainbow trout aren't real okay we talked about that a lot when we were there <laughs> yeah yeah i started nice. that book do yeah. you like that book yeah i i'm very very early in it yeah. everybody should read uh yeah an entirely synthetic exactly. fish it's uh, i need to reread it honestly it's a really cool uh sort of history of rainbow trout and our management of them and parallels you know how we've distributed them from a fish that was just on the Pacific coast of North America to a fish that is now in all 50 states of the United States and into, you know, multiple other countries. And we've really changed its genetic structure a lot, and we've introduced it into place where it changed the genetic structure of native trout populations like cutthroats that are now suffering a lot. Um and in Mexico and their native trout, you know, it's it's kind of a crazy story. And I still have trouble wrapping my mind around it. And I still love catching rainbow trout sometimes, if I'm being honest. You know, like they're beautiful fish. And I would love, my, my number one goal is to catch them in their native habitat. Um, but that's becoming harder and harder and harder to do. Um, and it's not just rainbow trout. I mean, it's, it's largemouth bass, you know, how we've introduced uh, Florida largemouth bass into Texas. And... Um, Really, just the United States has sort of a history in management of um, moving fish around and prioritizing certain fish over others. And um, unfortunately, you know, I'm, I'm not pointing fingers at any person or any manager or anybody, but... No, point um, fingers. It's, it's. <laughs> I mean, Parks and Wildlife screwed up. We screwed up um, Guadalupe bass. We brought in smallmouth bass. And they hybrid and, and they now hybridized. it's almost uh, it was like It was like the number one, you know, kind of conservation issue for those fish for a long time. Um, and you know we made it right. We're doing good. Quads are doing good. Yeah. Um, what, what do you know about like brawning? Um, you know, and and the fact that they've got redfish and and other stuff that they've put in there. I, I heard some story back in the day that they tried other fish like I don't know musky pike, whatever. Where? 
Uh, a Bronning. Bronning Lake. Bronning Lake. Just south of San Antonio. Familiar. I haven't been there. Yeah, so they have... I've got to be honest. I've, like I said earlier, I think I've bought a fishing license every year. Yeah. I don't think I've ever fished a major Texas re- reservoir. No, I just didn't know in, in, in your studies and, and internships and all that fun stuff if, if that came up. You know, because we... Bronning... Calaveras, too? Yeah. Calaveras as well. Um, yeah. Have, you know, redfish... Right. I've heard about those, too. Yeah, in, in there. So it's always yeah. like... My dad grew up redfishing a ton, and I think in a lot of those spots like okay. that where it's like a kind of salty, like a warm water influence somehow. Mm-hmm. And, uh, They're power plant lakes. Power plant lakes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's cool. Um, especially like creating a new fishery where there wasn't any fishery before, like discharge or whatever, you know? I think it's all cool. I, I could never tell a man that the fish you're catching isn't right you know that you shouldn't go catch that fish right that's no, just not something my morals will allow me to say <laughs> yeah but at the same time what i'm really trying to do is steer the conversation towards um native fish because uh, that's what i care a lot about and um i love catching big fish i love catching small fish but i just want people to kind of look into what's been here a long time and, and the unique aspects of the fishery around you and highlight those as opposed to being like, you know, maybe we shouldn't stock a whole, spend thousands of dollars stocking rainbow trout right here, you know? Maybe there, there are some great spots to go do that, but what about right here? You know, what do we got that we can celebrate? And what have we got that is unique and endemic in, you know, Texas, so. Well, they've got I striper feel, in I there, but it always threw me off that you, people would go there and be like, oh, yeah, I caught this huge, you know, redfish, yeah. trolling stuff. And it's just like, eh, you know. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 it's like, weird. It, yeah. It's, it's weird. It's weird seeing it and l- listening to it. And at what point is like, was it a good decision? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's. I'm just, I'd have to take into account, like, what was there before, you know, and. Yeah. I don't know. I'd well, probably eat them. <laughs> and I'd be curious too. Like, let's just take calaveras and brownie. Like, how much is the water temperature heated up? Natives were there native species there before? Can they not survive there anymore? Is it worth putting redfish in? Well, they're a power plant lake, right? Both. Well, of them. I mean, they yeah. have, and the pictures you always see are big redfish. It's yeah. never small. Yeah. Or like on the guad, because like the idea behind putting trout on the Guadalupe is we put a dam in. The water's coming out the bottom of the lake. Yeah. It's too cold, so we're going to put trout in here. Right. Do you believe that story? Well, um, I mean, the dam's there. Yep. It's not going anywhere. Um, the water's nice and cold. I was conflicted about that fishery for a while. I still haven't actually... I've electrofished it before, but I haven't uh, chased out the trout. I think it's great. I mean, uh, I sometimes I wish it was uh, all-inclusive and easy to access and not how it is uh, sort of... And maybe this is a false impression that I just get from, you know, the whole area, but just kind of privatized and, and exclusive. Like I know there's like no, there's right. restrictions about tackle and yeah. it's heavily guided and, and, and it's not at every man's. There, there's only like one or two places, maybe which is three a critique that, that a lot of people make no, of, there's of a, fly there, fishing. There's a ton of public access. Which is what? Board. I mean, for yeah. trout though? I mean, it, probably it, more than you, than I would think. But as someone are, who's unfamiliar there's, with fishing. There's, uh, so the stretch is what, like, let's say 10 miles. A couple of miles, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but the of RV tops. parts you're paying. Right, Tops. you're paying for access at at those stretches at the at like the five bucks. Uh, but I'm saying like that that's the thing. Like it is, it does seem like a barrier to some folks. It does, yeah. And even right. if it isn't that big of a barrier, it just kind of seems but like Texas it Parks and Wildlife pays that fee at some places for people. Like the first thirty people get in free, 
um, at some of the places. Some of the places are completely free, and right. you got legs. You can walk. But I thought there was only like yeah. two. a mile upstream or yeah. a mile downstream. At one point, it was Rio Raft and the very last spot, which was Hachos for Hecho Springs or something. Look, yeah. look I, I didn't do the trout like tech. Uh, GRTU does a trout lease, and they pay private landowners mm-hmm. to let people access there. If right. you want to do that, that's great. I don't feel like the cost of entry is so high that it's not worth doing it. If you're going to go out there and fish a lot, the 150 bucks is probably worth that it. That being said, yeah. though, but that, like, to some people, 150 bucks, like they, they won't have that extra money. So I, to that extent, I will say the Guadalupe trout fishing is intimidating for a lot of people. I think it's just a little intimidating. Yeah. And, and that's not a critique on anything, to be honest. It's his own thing. But um, yeah, it's his also, own thing. And, and taking a step back, like, it's like, like I said, the dam's there, the fishery's there. I don't think it's being mismanaged in any way. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's if anything, we've created something that wasn't there, which is great. My beef lies in that there's a dam there. Because can you imagine? I mean, you've, I'm sure you've driven down River Road and looked up at those huge cliff sides. Can you imagine what that that would have looked like? That's cool. all I can think when I go down there. Is like, can you imagine what this would have looked like with towering cypress trees? And really, that's just the history of North America. I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with what's going on there. It's just things have changed, and I have a lot of nostalgia in me, and I'm just kind of like looking at it like, wow. Yeah, I do the same thing when I go to like Amistad, dude. Can you imagine yeah. seeing where the Pecos and the Devils and the Rio Grande collided if it wasn't 200 feet underwater? Like, that would be amazing. And, and when these rever- reservoirs start dropping, you're like, oh, we're running out of water. It's like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't put a dam there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think that goes with the stories with, like, uh, with cedar trees. It's like, if, yeah. you know, if it wasn't If it, wasn't if it was moving. plains. Yeah. I'm a big grass nerd, too. That's a whole other side of me. <laughs> you haven't seen me there. I'm super into native prairies and stuff. And it's just like, you know, it's kind of a... And cedars came from Spain. Thing, yeah. No, no, the junipers are native. It's yeah. the way that we've been treating the land, and and the way it isn't burned anymore. Gotcha. Um, yeah, yeah, and uh, it's it's all kinds of things. But and that's dam- just this dam- like damming up stuff and having. It's taking me a long journey to kind of get to these places yeah. with yeah, it. But, I know, uh, like the cedars have become so crazy, but I didn't know why. Like I, you, you hear that story it's, growing it's up. It's that. It's it's a lot of the you know the grassland stuff being used it, for other stuff, and gosh, and in the nineteen uh, hundreds we. Um, all really liked goats to be on our property right. in the hill country. There's like an overgoating period that is almost like that's right. It's the goats that came from. Spain. It's like the geologically relevant the, at this point. Like you yeah. can see in the geologic history, like where it was like, oh, this is the overgoating period. It's, yeah, it's crazy. We're in the Anthropocene, right? It's like the the, the, the geologic be, period of human change. Yeah, and that's just part of it. You know, you, it would be pigs. Well, we pigs our, for sure is one of the main things from Spain that have come over. Yeah, yeah, wild pigs. Well, to finish on the Guadalupe topic, <laughs> just to round, just to round it off, no title of you, you you can go and 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 I understand what you're saying and what Zach is saying. It can be an intimidating for some people. 150 bucks is probably a lot, but with that being said, there's also places that you can go for free, and also it can be intimidating. But if you want to find any good fishing spots, all it takes is 10 minutes of research. Yeah, like. You can be intimidated about going fishing anywhere, and the Guad is probably a little bit more complicated than your average spot. Yeah, there's 30 but if places you want, to fish. If you want to fish, like put in the 15 minutes of research to find Absolutely. out where those free spots are. Oh, yeah. Don't be so discouraged. I'm not trying to say that it's not intimidating. I'm just saying I think we're making it sound like a, it's a lot harder than it is. And Well, there's a know, whole reason why it's Drama Lupe, not James Earl Park, you know, drama. Yeah. You know I'll, what I mean? I'll like, say that what I was intentionally, or what I was originally talking about was the barriers to um, 
a lot of folks as you can't keep fish or you got to use barbless hooks or oh, you yeah. get in trouble. That just seems like a lot of folks will step back from that. Oh, yeah. Because um, a lot of people who go to target rainbow trout for the community park stockings, you know, they're keeping them, they're eating them, yeah. they're catching them on power Corn, power baits. Yeah. yeah. Vienna sausages. Vienna. That being said, <laughs> yeah. though, I will say. And I understand why the, they manage it separately. Well, yeah. And the other side of it, too, is like they'll be throwing in the rainbow trout and there'll be people, you know, catch it. Like as they're throwing them in from a net, <laughs> there's people catching them and Go putting in, them in the cooler. Out, it's like pellet just, heads. Yeah, yeah. It's like just put the, the fish from the net in my cooler. It'll be, yeah. it'll save us all a step. Or just know? go for Gucci B and just buy, buy you. Meanwhile, there. there's green throat darters all around them, <laughs> darting about their feet, and 20 yeah. other species they could catch. They but no, catch I mean, th- those are my hot takes when it comes to fisheries. It's just yeah. like, man, I'm, I'm, I went through a long phase of being a diehard sport fish chaser. You know, I, w- I was bought a bait caster, you know, and, and was throwing big Senkos for largemouth bass, and, and I caught a bunch of rainbow trout, and, and I love it, and I still do. But I want to change the conversation to people directing them towards native fish. So that's my hot take. I think that's a good point to end on, Nick. Thanks for coming <laughs> on, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for man. Hanging out with you is always oh, this yeah. is a yeah. good hangout. I, I like man. hanging out with y'all. I want to maybe go. I'll go. I'll go micro fish with you one day. I'll go micro fish. Add, maybe. Add, I'm gonna. I'm gonna like not even tell you. I'm gonna tie a little size thirty hook on the end of your. Line, you're not even going to notice, and then all of a sudden you're going to pull out a mosquito fish on accident. I'll only go if I if we can, if you'll take me out and show me the ropes. Yeah, oh, yeah that's I'll, yeah. If we go micro fishing, well, I ain't going to go would. do it by myself. How many species do you want to catch in a day? We can get to fifteen probably. Okay, well, let, yeah, let's work on that lifeless. Fifteen, fifteen sounds good. I'm going to start yeah. start Landon's fishing lifeless page yeah. on Instagram. I'll bring my macro lens, man. We could have a good. That would be a I fun video. We had, yeah. some, we had a good time in Kerrville, man. Kerrville's a hub of microvision. I think I, I will say every fish I caught for that tournament, I caught within about two hundred yards of the same. Well, spot. I mean, even that yeah. one spot downtown we, Kerrville. Yeah, yeah that one spot we were fishing. There was a lot of a lot of yeah. small stuff going on. Oh uh, yeah, which was pretty cool. under the radar. Yeah. I could, yeah, I'm down. Cool. Not a 40 degree day, but all right, guys. Next week we have uh, I'm blanking on his name, but a guy from uh, San Antonio River Authority. Okay, cool. So nice, Sarah, right on. S A R A. Yep. Yep. <laughs> all right, all right, guys. We'll catch y'all next week. Look in the description below to find links to our website, online store, YouTube channel, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Discord server, and blog. Please send your podcast questions and inquiries to info at honeyholeangling.com. Thanks for hanging out with us. We'll see you again next week.